welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rage. Now you know what we are. Now you know what you are. Never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. But you must feed. I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. Get me back, my head! Don't be afraid. No. Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood as we continue our month long review. Yes, that's right. We're still in the Universal Monster territory. Yes, that's right. We uh, we did a little flub last week. We thought we we're Adam or Adam A because apparently J.K. Klein and J.A. Allison don't know how to read a calendar because we are still stuck in Universal Monster Month. And we're going to be talking about a, a very uh, famous uh, Universal Monster you can never overlook. Because we are going to the theater. We're, we are checking our, we're getting our ticket. We're checking into the theater. We're watching some musicals. And we're going to watch some people die. Because we are talking about the Phantom of the Opera. What's going on, Allison? What's happening? What's up, man? <laughs> What's up? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, kind of weird. Like I thought I was in June for a minute, but turns out I'm still in May. So we're exactly. still doing Universal Monsters. So, but hey, you can't do, you can't get enough Universal Monsters, right? Especially now that we we have this one. So this yes. is, this is special. I mean, who knew that there was like five weeks in May? I mean, come on now. I mean, I mean fuck, how, about, know, how long is this damn month? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't I don't know how long these calendar things have been out, but. <laughs> They're pretty handy, really. I mean, I would advise anybody to get one. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if we only had a you know, if we only had a device where we could carry a calendar in our phone. I know, it's crazy. You know, or you know, if they were to invent an app for that, maybe Well, you know, be, you know, in, in this show we're stuck in the eighties. So, you know, we didn't yeah. have a calendar on us. Uh we were drinking True. too much uh uh bud bud light. You know what I mean? Yeah. Too much too much rocking around to to some docking. So, you know, you know, yeah. that's how it happens. We just skip the time, yeah, too much partying. Yeah, it's what uh, yeah, that's what headbanging will do. Do you do too much metal headbanging and you can't remember what month you're in anymore? <laughs> but anyway, everybody, we're gonna be starting our summer camp uh next month in June, which we're starting yes. out with a great doozy of uh, sleepaway camp. So that's gonna be very fun. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna be talking all about the Phantom of the Opera. So before we get into the uh, the history and stuff in the movie, you know, obviously the Phantom of the Opera is a very very old <clears throat> you know story of a mm-hmm. um. Burned, uh, this you know, what do you how to say, like ghostly figure that haunts a, a, a theater. And it's like a love story, it's a murder story, it's a desire story. So it has a lot of like elements to it. And there's been many, many movies and many books and stuff all about the Phantom of the Opera. And it's just very interesting that in this one, the one we're going to be review today on the episode is the 1989 version of Phantom of the Opera starring. None other than a retro blood alumni, Robert England. Yeah, Freddie. That time Robert England came back to the retro blood. He's come back, brother. 
He's no longer Freddy. He's now a phantom uh, 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 man over here who still uses his one-liners, just like he did with Freddy. <laughs> yeah. But I actually thought he did pretty good, though. You know, we'll get we'll get into it, um, talking all about his performance and how the movie was. But you know, before we before we do the movie, let's like all the times on Retro Blood. Let's get into the history segment because we have a jammed, packed history segment. Because so this movie was released on November third, nineteen eighty nine. Yes, the tail end of the eighties, nineteen eighty nine. We've done a couple. Uh, movies in 1989. It's just very interesting to see the uh, the tail end of the 80s as we transition into the 90s, uh, especially when we're going to be talking about this one event. And the one event we're going to be talking about was uh, for wrestling, for the pro wrestling, is going to be Halloween Havoc 1989, the first ever Halloween Havoc. So it's going to be the doozy. Mm-hmm. And this one, this Good. oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, that's a good show. I mean, it was a very, very good show. Very good show. We are talking all about it because this show is very, very important. So this, this show was released on October 28th, 1989. So, you know, uh, a couple weeks before um, the movie Phantom of the Opera dropped. So we'd probably just be watching the trailer for the Phantom at this time. But this show was from uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in, this, in the Philadelphia Civic Center. And boy, like, this show was fantastic. Like... The look and the presentation of this particular wrestling show, I thought was like top notch. Like the entrances were great, the music was good, and just the, the whole uh, pre- presenting the uh, the athletes as big time stars when they when they walked out. And I thought a lot of the wrestling matches were very good as well. What about you, Allison? Uh, yeah, I, like I was really surprised at that. For uh, I was surprised at a couple of things about that actually. Um, one, we watched it obviously on the Peacock. Yes. Um, and they used most or a lot of the original entrance music, which shocked me. Yeah. Like Iron Man. Like I, I, yeah. Like, I don't know if that's an oversight and they just forgot to change it. The WWE, but they, they've, they really do not go. They really do not release licensed music. I mean, they even changed DDP's music because it sounded too much like smells like teen spirit, but they played the road warriors, iron man, um, interest theme. And man, like if you don't, that's one thing that's different now than it used to be is like, you can't see those licensed music entrance themes anymore. And they just use canned music for it. And like watching the road warriors walk out to iron man is a completely different feeling than watching them walk out to some like generic, you know, WWE canned music. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's amazing. Like the, like the, the entrance for this is great. This is the one where they rise up from the, from the, from the floor, right? Yes. Yeah. Cause I watched two shows actually back to back with them in it. Um, but, um, yeah, they rise up from the floor with Paul Ellering standing behind them and with the smoke and stuff around them while Iron Man played. That shit was amazing. Yeah. Definitely. The whole uh, presentation of this particular card was very interesting. So this was the first ever Halloween Havoc. Obviously, it's a, they named that for this pay-per-view because it's in October. And, you know, Halloween Havoc has always been one of my top favorite pay-per-views that wrestling has produced. Um, you know, obviously, it started with <clears throat> this show for, for NWA, WCW, at this time. And, you know, it's always been a very tradition that pretty much WCW had. They had it pretty much every year up until their demise around 2001. 
Um, I, well, there's 2000, the 2000, uh, Halloween Havoc was the last one they had because they shut down the doors in 2001 before Halloween Havoc was, was going to be aired. But it's, it's really interesting though, you know, so, you know, when WWE brought, bought the property of WCW, they, they iced a lot of the, um, WCW names like, you know, like Great American Bash, Halloween Havoc, you know, Starcade and stuff. And it just been, uh, recently, uh, that they NXT has brought the Halloween Havoc name back, so they they do a, a tradition um, every year now on NXT, uh, bringing the Halloween ha- Havoc name back. And I actually thought a couple of those NXT Halloween Havoc shows have been pretty good. Even the uh, the one that came recently, um, <laughs> the the NXT 2.0 Halloween Havoc. Have you seen that that show? Do you remember? I that? don't know if I watch. I, I, I watched some of them, but I don't know if I yeah. watched the newest. Well, one. I may have given up on 2.0 by this point. Yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> you're not the only one, <laughs> but uh, but actually, uh, I thought the uh, just you know the, the talk a little about the Halloween habit. I thought this particular one was pretty good because it had a match between um, it it wasn't a match. I guess it was one of those um, kind of like skits, you know, cinematography uh, skits. It had um, Trick Williams, all right, and it had uh, Camar- uh, Carmelo Hayes going into Dexter Loomis's house. And I thought it was pretty good. They made it like a haunted house and everything. So it, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, but, you know, when it comes to the 80s and Halloween, this is like, uh, this one wasn't as um, gimmicked as some of the Halloween Havocs would be in later years when it comes to the set designs and people mm. dressing up in costumes and stuff. This is more like a big show, like a big show presentation. And I thought the whole presentation of the actual show, like, really made it like very, like, sports-centric. Um, you know, where we had like these star athletes. You know, we had uh, we had Gordon Sully uh, do the interviews backstage, kind of like how you see Tony Schiavone do it now, talking with the athletes before they come out to do some pre-match promos. We almost had a pre-match promo before every every match, and then we had um, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle on the fucking call. I thought they did a great job as well too. Yeah. There's some comments about I'll make about Jim Ross later, but yeah, yes. they did, they did, they did, they did, uh, they did a great job. Typical for those guys. There was a couple. Classic. There was a couple of Jim Ross quotes uh, that I liked <laughs> in this show. <laughs> so you know, we'll talk a little bit about the card. So I thought the first match was your boy, all right, your boy Tom Zank versus Z Man, the Z Man. That's an '80s name. I don't know what it is. All right. <laughs> He fought uh, Mike Rotunda, which is, of course, Bo Dallas's and Bray Wyatt's daddy. Um, I So, you know, the Mike Rotunda, obviously, he's known for being IRS. And VK Wall Street. Remember that Remember that gimmick? VK Wall Street? Yeah. yeah, like, I don't know. Like, Rotunda was... I like Mike Rotunda. Like, he was he's, he was cool when he was in the varsity club. Yeah, that's where he was in this, um, this match. Yeah, so he was still in varsity club with uh, Rick Steiner wearing his Michigan stuff and uh, Kevin Sullivan. I, I don't, yeah, and Kevin Sullivan with his I didn't go to college stuff on. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know. He's he's the only one not wearing like an alumni jacket. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't. Uh, I mean, I like that. That was pretty cool. It's just like when he went to WWF, they you know, well, it was during that era when they were given they ever they, they were doing the job gimmicks, right? So everybody yeah. had a job. Yeah, and his job was the tax man. Yeah, he was a tax man, and they want they want him to be hated, and everybody hates the tax man, right? So they they just made him the tax man. It is kind of a, a like a funny like, hey, I'm a tax guy, but I'm going to be a wrestler. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I 
It just is so weird when they did the whole job. Like everybody had had a job. Like, hey, I'm a plumber, but I'm also a wrestler. <laughs> hey, I drive NASCARs. By the way, I also wrestle too on the weekends. Okay. Yeah, or like I'm a prison guard, yeah. and, but I'm also a wrestler. <laughs> 90s wrestling, man, it's crazy. Well, it's just crazy to see like how it transitioned from the 80s to the 90s of how like all the 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 gimmicks were taken over and stuff but you know we had like mm-hmm. this is the kind of like right here the 1989 is kind of like the middle ground because a lot of the the um a lot of the people on this card you know will have big impact in the 90s you know when it comes to like a couple of these athletes on here you know tom zink um he was always a good wrestler i don't think he's got a lot of praise like he should he was kind of a very young wrestler this match was okay the only problem i have with mike rotunda's matches this guy is like the slowest wrestler like known to man he's just He's not very flashy. Whole lot of chin locks. You know what I mean? Not a bad wrestler. Just not 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 a flashy wrestler. Yeah, he definitely wrestled like an amateur wrestler. Yes. You know, like a, like a college wrestler. Like, which is you know, I guess what they sold that to him as. Like, that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to. This is the the, the these are athletes. This is the varsity club. You're supposed to be a you know a college wrestler. Yeah. Um, and that's you know, so that's what I guess that's what he was just trying to do. But you're right. He was he was just kind of he was just kind of slowish. Um, I remember him really mostly seeing him wrestle in Japan on uh, like in the hmm, late nineties, I guess. Like I could, like I had some uh, uh, new Japan tapes that he wrestled on. Um, so that's really where I know him mostly from because I couldn't, I couldn't really see much else up until that point. Um, or I was really wasn't back into wrestling at that point. So I missed the IRS era and all that stuff. Oh. Um, but uh how how could but, you um, <laughs> i know i if i could go back in time <laughs> that would uh, not be what i would change but um but yeah i mean you know i, I think he's a, a competent wrestler he's he's good you know he's just not super flashy yeah well the next match we have is all about the flash we have the samoan swat team fatu you like this one the samoan savage mm-hmm. and samu with Oliver Humperdinck and a very rare, I'm pretty sure this is very rare, very rare baby faces, the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane with Steve Williams, a.k.a. Dr. Death, with the man himself, Jim Cornette. Well, yeah, that, so it's, it's their faces in this because they're, they're fighting foreigners. Yes. I mean, that's, I'm sure that's the only reason, but it's, it is weird to see Cornette as a face. Very weird. Um, you know, and, um, uh, you know, obviously the Midnight Express, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Um, and, um, and this is the Eaton Stan Lane version, which is, you know, I don't want to say it's the best version, but it's a, it's a very good version, you know, cause, uh, oh God, what's the other guy's name? Bob, Bobby Convy. Yeah. That's the that's the other guy that was in Midnight Express at some point. Yeah, I mean he's a great yeah. wrestler too. But but this is the Midnight Express to me. This is the one I remember. Um, and then of course we have Doctor Death, Steve Williams. I mean you, you know he's still doing his football gimmick here, where he's you know doing yes. the from Oklahoma on the line. Yeah, from Oklahoma doing the line, getting on the line and like tackling people like like Goldberg, except better. Yeah, well you know during um, this particular era, you know Steve Williams was like a very big uh, prospect. I think he did a couple tours in Japan where he kind of made his name. And yep. then, you know, he's just a big powerhouse, kind of like how you would see uh, Jeff Cobb today. You know, he's just a shorter, big powerhouse guy. That's when Jim Ross was going crazy over fucking um, Jeff Cobb. There we go. Jeff yeah, Cobb. He, yeah, yeah, he'd yeah. go crazy over Jeff Cobb because they're, they're kind of similar when their body sizes and how they wrestle a little bit. 
Yeah, so. that's true. But Steve Williams is from uh, Oklahoma. Yes. And that's that that puts you a, a step above in Jim Ross's Boomer Sooner. Boomer Sooner, brother. So, so you know, we didn't talk about it, but the Z-Man, he defeated Mike Rotunda, and then the, the, the Samoan SWAT team defeated the Midnight Express and Steve Williams. The American uh, boys couldn't get it done. Next match, I think I skipped this one. <laughs> Tommy Rich, <laughs> he defeated the Cuban Assassin. And how can you defeat, how can, how can you, like, skip a Cuban Assassin match, man? I don't know. I don't even remember um, watching I, this match. I must have just like not paid attention. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's not. I mean, it's not the greatest match you'll ever see, but it's it's fine. I mean, I like Tommy Rich. Wildfire Tommy Rich is a good wrestler, and Cuban Assassin. He is what it is. You know. I mean, like, you know. It's been a uh, pretty good match in the fine. card. Yeah. So it was only like, eight minutes. Yeah, we got a feeling, brother. That's the uh, popcorn break. Uh-huh. So we have the uh, Fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, which has a great entrance. You know, the whole time they're like, Jim Ross like, you know, that Michael Hayes, he's the one that, uh, he's the first guy that came out with rock and roll music for his entrance games. He's like saying it the whole time. They defeated Allison's favorite tag team of all time, the the Dynamic Dudes, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace, brother. With I I actually love those guys. (laughs) Yeah, they came out with the skateboards. They could, like, they didn't know how to skateboard, <laughs> so they just carried them to the ring. Because <laughs> the thing, the one thing that I definitely think of when I think of uh, Shane Douglas and John Laurinaitis is those guys can probably skateboard. Yes, we have the neon colors. We have the long flowing blonde hair. We have skateboards we can't use. That's right, brother. Chick magnets. <laughs> Right. But it is crazy and, to see. And they're older, too. It's not like yeah. they're kids. Like They look like they're dressed up as like teenagers. <laughs> like teenage like, uh, skaters or whatever, which I guess was like super popular at this time. They're like, they're, like, they're like when we review these horror movies. Like if these kids are like supposed to be in camp and shit, they all look like they're 30. <laughs> they're all supposed to be like 18. <laughs> but it's, it's crazy to see yeah. the, the, the career pass that Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace went on after this. Especially with Shane Douglas with his character change. So, but you know, this is a good yeah. match. You know, the Freebirds were obviously huge at this time. Very charismatic, very charismatic team. Um, and this is from this is for the NWA World Tag Team Championship belt, brother, with the fabulous Freebirds. They defeated that dynamic dude. So they're the champs. So good match. I liked it. It was very, uh, very, you know, fast pace and. Um, you know, very get the crowd going and stuff. Um, I've always been a big fan of uh, Jimmy Garvin too. I liked it when oh, he yeah. had his little uh, the, the hair gimmick. He <laughs> he always puff out his hair. Um, I remember that uh, there was one scene. I think he had baby doll with him, and they were doing all these vignettes of like just outside <laughs> his house of him just pampering himself. It was great. Yeah, that was that was awesome. And he would also always come out to uh, uh, Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top. Yes. He was great, um, man. I loved him. He was great. So good. So good. So the next match is probably... This is like a three-match show for me. Um, and I'm not talking about the main event. There's like... This this match right here started uh, the actual... like I like the physical aspect of this match. And two great teams when it comes to this one. So first we have Doom. Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys were jacked to the moon holy shit yeah. 
It was, based, you know, it was Ron Simmons. Obviously, is an all-American football guy, powerhouse. You know, Butch Reed, jacked, big dude. They just put him in fucking assassin masks and mask. Um, they had a woman uh, with them, uh, which you know she has a crazy story in herself. But uh, this is, and then they fought the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott Steiner. And boy, like the the, the did you see the interview before the the Steiners went out for this match? I did. I did see that. <laughs> So Scott, you know, like you could tell, like this is very early on in his career. So his interviews, his interview skills were never the cleanest. But you know, later on in years, that's when he would just mouth off and just say random shit. But this is yeah. when we had the uh, the the Scott Stunner who's trying to not curse, basically, while he's doing interviews, and you know, just sound like more like an athlete. Rick, on the other hand, just sounds like a wild man. Like he. Just- <laughs> My favorite part was at the end, uh, so, uh, Gordon was like, so, you know, women's out there, what are you going to do if she interferes? And Rick's like, I'm just going to have to grab her and pull her tight. <laughs> <laughs> so this match is really good, very physical. Um, we had like a pretty shocking win from Doom. They actually mm-hmm. defeated the Steiner brothers. So very good match, very physical. These guys were just slamming each other around. Fucking just pounding on each other. It was it was great. It was it was a, a very physical match. So had Ron Simmons like made a name for himself under as Ron Simmons yet, or was he was Doom like the first I think, big thing? For I him? think Doom Doom was the first big thing for him, and then later on, towards in the nineties, that's when he became the All American Ron Simmons, and that's right. when he got the belt from Vader and all that yeah. stuff. So he, it, this is kind of like the beginning part of his career and moving all yeah, up. Yeah, because obviously Butch Reed had been a famous wrestler before this. Hacksaw Butch Reed was a very famous wrestler up until here at this point. But now we just got to put him under the mask. Now he's under a mask for some reason. So this next match is my favorite match on the card. And I thought the whole presentation of this match was great. Like, so we have Lex Luger, which is low-key one of my favorite wrestlers. I just like the whole presentation of Lex Luger. Uh, I know, I know, there's been a lot of like love and hate on Lex Luger, but I always thought he was great. I thought he looked like a perfect wrestler. You know, he had the freaking definitely '80s wrestler. Just got jacked to the moon, All right? And I, th- I actually thought he, you know, his, you know, his promos were never the best, but I thought he did pretty good. You know, he's making it, you know, sound like you know he's going to be the wrestler of the '90s. You know what I mean? He's like the man to, to bring WWE to new heights and stuff. Because he is the uh, United States champion at this time. And he's about to defend the title against Flying Brian Pillman. Pillman. Mm-hmm. So I just like the the entrances for Lex Luger and Brian Pillman were just great. You know, the, it just for some reason, the Civic Center just had a really good atmosphere to it. You know, with the lights going everywhere. They're, they're on like an elevated stage. It almost looked like an opera stage. So it goes perfect with this movie that we're going to be reviewing. And they're just coming out. Lex Luger's coming out to the lights and stuff. He's looking jacked. People are going crazy. Uh, they're talking about him being the wrestler of the future. And it was very interesting in this match, too, where they're, where the on the commentary, they're bringing up, like, Lex Luger was only, like, three years in the business at this time, and Flying Brian was only two years. And these guys were going out there, and they were doing great. They were getting the crowd into the match. Uh, it was a very physical match. Um... I just thought they were just like going at it really hard, and you could definitely tell that these two guys were going to be something later on in pro wrestling. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Luger was definitely fa- big at this point already. I mean, he was a famous wrestler; people knew who Lex Luger was. But um, 
So I, now I'm trying to remember this back to the show. So did this show have an elevated ramp or or not? I mean, yeah. did, like, you know how it had the ramp that goes straight out to the ring? Or was it like they walked down a ramp onto the floor and then got in the ring? No, it was the straight to the ring. That's what I thought. So when um, when did that stop? Because um, I like this better, I think. Because that's the way AEW does it now. Because they do, they have kind of a WCW type presentation. Yeah. But WWE hasn't had anything like that since before the '90s, and I don't even know if they had it at this point. But um, you know, like like the you know like the wrestlers would walk straight to the ring, and you could see them all the way down this elevated like ramp, this walkway. And ECW did it that way. So I'm wondering why why you think that that it was changed for WWF. Well, um, a couple of things. So, you know, right now they kind of have a ramp a little bit. You know, they have a stage and then you kind of go down, you know, just on the floor. Um, but yeah. I think the WWF didn't do it because they, they, they like to use a lot of outside stuff like vehicles. Like, remember, oh, remember during, yeah. remember during the Outer Terror, they would use like trucks. They would use cement trucks. They would use fucking beer trucks, milk trucks. So yeah. I just they, got, they just wanted to keep that you know they didn't want to they wanted to keep it as a surprise so maybe that's when they were taking a little bit of the stage down but you know they the, WWF has always had like a stage but then it just goes down into like the it's like a stage and then you get down to the once you get off the ramp you kind of like go down you know yeah, you just walk onto the floor yeah they never really had like a whole stage plus elevated ramp that was mostly like WCW did that most of the time mm-hmm. I mean I always liked it too you know it kind of gives you know, a little bit more, just a little bit more presentations. You could see the athletes better. So, um, but yeah. So Lex Luger defeated Brian Pillman during this particular yes. contest too. So a very good match, everybody. If you haven't seen this show, we definitely recommend go watching this, especially for this match. This is the uh, match of the night, at least for myself. Yeah, well, that's no surprise. But it it is not the match of the night for me. But it's yeah. not a bad match. <laughs> So the next match we had the Road Warriors, Hawk oh. and Animal, who are actually on the poster for the uh, Halloween Havoc. Perfect people to have on the poster for it, and they uh, they defeated another sleeper tag team, one of my favorite tag teams, the Skyscrapers, fucking Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey, brother, two yep. huge jacked up dudes. <laughs> oh fuck, man, these guys are awesome. You know, you know these guys like you know nowadays. I thought the closest thing we could have got to the skyscrapers was uh, Mason T Bar, because you know Mason T Bar they're tall dudes. You know what I mean? And they're pretty big, so I don't get why we couldn't have kept them as a dominant tag team. You know what I mean? Call, call them the new skyscrapers. Yeah, the new skyscrapers or something. You know That'd what I mean? Great. Yeah, they, they should let us book this shit, man. We oh. we ought to take over Raw. Yeah, man, that'd be a show people would watch. I can tell you that. Yeah. Because okay, look look at this. So you know the skyscrapers. There was the um, Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey version, which we got here. But there also was the Mean Mark Calloway and Dan Spivey version as well too. You know, I uh, think I think the Mean Mark one came after Sid Vicious. Yeah, it did. Was he? I was trying to. I was thinking he was he was in the skyscrapers with Dan Spivey because Sid Vicious was injured. Yes. Because I thought it was the other way around. I thought it was Sid Vicious and and uh, Mark Calloway. No, no, I think uh, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mark Calloway is definitely with Dan Spivey in this. In the, I think they were called the new sky. They could have been called the skyscraper or something. But I always yeah. liked the team because you got two tall, jacked up dudes. You know what I mean? Who have a manager, 
which their manager was Teddy, Teddy Long. And, you know, it's just like a very intimidating team. And, like, speaking of Universal Monsters, if there was a Universal Monster in pro wrestling during this time, that motherfucker would be Sid Vicious. This guy looked like a fucking Frankenstein. This dude is so fucking jacked and tall during this era. I was like, fuck, man, this guy, where did, where did you construct this guy from? Like, he looked like fucking Frankenstein out there. Yeah, he's got weak legs, though. Yeah. He needs to work those out more. Something bad might happen down the road if he doesn't. But did you see? Yes. Did you see? Yes. Did you see the trapezius, though? Yeah, he's, he, yeah, he, I mean, he's huge. I mean, he, he's gigantic. Um, and like the thing about Sid Vicious, I was first introduced to Sid Vicious um, at ECW um, because they had some kind of, I think it was, it was one of their 1999 shows, and that's the first time I'd ever seen him. And, um, they, um, he was, it, he wasn't announced. It was like a surprise opponent for somebody. And they brought out Sid Vicious and I'm like, holy shit. Like, where did they find this guy? Because, you know, everybody in ECW, the whole gimmick, not gimmick of ECW, but the thing about ECW was they basically hired people who couldn't pass stupid tests other places. Like they were too short or their cardio wasn't good enough, but they were good wrestlers. You know what I mean? So, you know, most of the people who worked for ECW were, were on the smaller side. So then you had Sid Vicious walk out and he looked like a literal giant to, to these people. Yes. You never seen him um, in the, uh, the WWF during the 97 era? You were watching during no, that time? No, because I, I, I stopped right after that. Okay. I mean, I, I, I started right after that because I didn't start, get back into wrestling until Survivor Series 1998. Gotcha. So from about 88 or 89 to um, 98, I didn't see any wrestling at all. Okay, yeah, so that makes sense where you don't, you would see him there for the first time. Because me, like, you know, I started watching uh, wrestling for the first time in 1998 as well. Um, it was the uh, the build to Austin versus Sean at that WrestleMania. So I would probably would have seen Savicious, same, probably in ECW. Mm-hmm. Because I remember um, when I was getting into wrestling, my friend's brother, who's the one who got me into wrestling, he we would watch ECW at his house sometimes, and that's when I uh, that's when I was really big into the Raven character. Oh yeah, but you know that's we have to talk about the Raven character more on one of those Lights Out ones. Yeah, we'll do that on the Lights Out show because he is a very eight, uh, '90s oriented character. So, but anyway, <laughs> he, he but, no kidding. But anyway, this match right here, this was great. You know, two, you know, four jacked dudes just pounding each other. What, what does Biggie say? Uh, be, big, beefy men slapping beef. <laughs> this is what you got in this match, brother. They ain't playing around. You know, I like no. this kind of wrestling, though. Like, you know, I, I like the high flying. I like the dives. I like the wild, crazy bumps and stuff. But, you know, sometimes you just need some jacked dudes beating on each other. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's entertainment, man. That's some good shit. You know, I feel yeah. like I feel like we're kind of missing a little bit of that nowadays. You know, we don't have a lot of. You know, we have big dudes in wrestling, but the, you know, we got like Omos, and it's it's not the same when you have like Omos and Bobby Lashley. Yeah, yeah, those are two big dudes and stuff. But it just, I don't know. They're just they're not as physical as like something you would see with like the the, the Ward Warriors or the Skyscrapers. You know. Well, yeah, but there's a world of difference between Omos and the Road Warriors. I mean, like Omos <laughs> can't even wrestle. Yes. Like, I'm pretty sure he barely knows what he's doing. Um, and, and when he's in the ring, even today, like he was, you know, he, he had a match at wrestle fucking mania 
and he can barely he can barely wrestle. He can barely do anything at all. Um, just imagine, Warriors, yeah. Man, just those, ima- those guys are fucking great. Just imagine the Omos versus Great Kali spectacular. That would be something to watch. Bucket they should go for like thirty minutes. They should do like a <laughs> like a thirty minute like cage match. <laughs> those guys. Yeah, Johnny they have Prince. to escape the cage. They have to escape the cage. So they've got to climb over the top to win. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, but, uh, the, but the Road, road Warriors were very hard hitting. They 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 looked like they were actually beating the shit out of people when they wrestled them. Yes. And they were talking about, you know, the Road Warriors were the team of the 80s, which they definitely were. I mean, they, they came into wrestling. I mean, nobody's ever seen a tag team like this when they were first coming to wrestling. They were just, they were just two big jacked dudes. Come in there with some crazy face paint on, just beating up people. And then people are just like, "What the fuck's going on over here?" You know, because you mm-hmm. know w- w- when they were going into wrestling, we didn't have the. We had some jack dudes like you know Billy Graham and you know Bruno San Martino was pretty jack, but like these guys were just like just on like a different level. You know, mm-hmm. there were just some big guys coming in there, and then the thing is, their matches would be so short, like because they would just basically go in there and just pound people and beat their ass. You know, they well, that like, was their gimmick, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it worked. I'm just saying, like, it just it just worked with them. So, you know, a lot of times you can headline a territory with a hot tag team, you know, which is something that's not prevalent with today. Uh, but you know, back then you could probably have a big solid tag team and and definitely kind of run your territory off them. And of course, you know, having the Road Warriors on your show uh, is definitely like you know, when's the last time on a, on a poster? You know, maybe besides AEW, that we have like a tag team being advertised as the as the main attraction from your poster. You know, we don't see that a whole lot. Um, no, I mean almost never. Well, I mean, tag team wrestling was like what the business was for years. I mean, Jim Crockett was famous for pretty much only running tag team matches for years, which is why the Crockett Cup is a tag team tournament. Yes. Um, but you know, it it, uh, it by this point, tag team wrestling had definitely subsided somewhat and now they don't even know what tag team wrestling is anymore like vince mcmahon does not care one shit about tag team wrestling now yeah. you can just tell but tag team wrestling i think it's more interesting like i would rather see a tag match like a like you know just the speed of it is can be so good if you have four guys that know what they're doing exactly and you know there's still great um, tag teams nowadays especially AEW. they definitely have a stacked rock roster with some tag teams yeah, they're trying to bring that back for sure. But the, um, we're at the end of our ten minutes here. Okay, so you can stop. Let's let yeah. Let me start another one, and then we'll go back to talk, the tag team thing. One All second. Right. Um. Yeah. So uh, tag teams. Yeah. So um, tag teams are definitely coming back in AEW. Um. You know they're th- they're about to do a trios tag titles probably. Uh. From the from the rumors that are going around, but um. They uh, definitely, um, um, they they definitely focus more on them than WWE does for sure. I mean, I can't even name a tag team in WWE other than RK Bro and the Usos. So uh, before we move on to the main event, I just want to talk a little bit about Dan Spivey. <laughs> so okay. this guy is a pretty interesting uh, character in wrestling. You know, he was I liked his names. <laughs> now that I'm clicking on him. So we have Dangerous Dan Spivey. All right. Dangerous mm-hmm. Dan, the left hand man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Danny yeah. Spivey. Mr. America. Mm-hmm. And of course, the character who who possibly could have shaped the Bray Wyatt character, Waylon Mercy. 
Mm-hmm. And it just um, go ahead. Well, I was about to say, don't don't uh, don't forget uh, when he was uh, tag teaming as uh, Starship Eagle with Starship Coyote, who was Scott Hall. Yes, yeah, Starship Eagle. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So I, they were American Starship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's a great name. We need some great. How come the the. When I would get weird names nowadays, you know what I mean? Like kind of just corny ones, like fucking Alba Fire or some shit like that. What about Alba Fire? What about what about Starship oh, Eagle, brother? Yeah, like uh, dude, that would that would that would be so over right now. Like if yeah. if Starship Eagle and Starship Coyote, yeah. like you know, if they're a music hit and they came out on Raw Monday, that would be that would be the shit. And then they're like, yeah, we're we're a new tag team called American Starship. Hell yeah, that would go over. And uh, you know the the Waylon Mercy character was very interesting. Did you ever watch any of that? His character work? No, I've I've never seen him as Waylon Mercy. So basically, if you watch it, you'd be like, "Oh shit, that's like very early on Bray Wyatt," because he was just very he had the he had the Hawaiian shirts, and he would just talk with a very um, cultist cult like figure. Now he wasn't has like dark spirit. He wasn't has backwoods um, New Orleans and shit like Bray Wyatt was with his. Uh, a cult character, uh, Wayne and Mercy, which is a little bit more like st- you know straightforward type like that. But it's very, mm-hmm. it was a very interesting character who, who was kind of like a, before its time. And if, if he wasn't so injured at the time, you know where he couldn't wrestle, I think the character would have been something, uh, something pretty interesting to to to, to look upon because he was just a very um, different character for the time. You know, he's yeah. he was playing. He was basically in in the eight in the nineties and stuff. He was playing a very early on cult leader, uh, saying all this like stuff to kind of like warp and kind of get you th- to think. So it, it I, I always liked Dan Spivey for that character, even though it was a very short lived character. But it was just yeah. like a character you could tell it's like kind of before its time. And if he had a little bit more like freedom with it and had a little bit more, it could it could have been something like very unique. In wrestling. Right was was that WCW? I'm assuming. No, no, he was. That was in when he was in uh, WWF. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like when okay. everybody had. It was during the uh, the the era where you know a lot of people had to have um, you know jobs. Like we had like you know we had Mantar and shit going on. And, and his job was a cult leader. Yeah, it, it was just like a weird. <laughs> well, at first, first when you look at him, he looks like a used car salesman. But the way right, he would yeah. talk and do things, I think he was supposed to be portraying like a cult leader. So it just, it right. just it, yeah. I was gonna say exactly like Bray Wyatt. Like so, Bray Wyatt was like a like a shrimp boat like guy. Yes. Like he's like a he was supposed to be like kind of like a Cajun like um, fisherman or a shrimp boater or something. Yes. But who who just also happened to be like this backwoods cult leader. Yes. Mm. So yeah, apparently, that so that his the the Wayland Mercy character was inspired by Robert. Uh, De-, De Niro's portrait of Max Candy in the 1991 oh, from Cape Fear. From Cape Fear, yeah, yeah. So he's a very similar to that. And then he actually, which I didn't know this, but uh, this makes sense. Um, he actually, you know, ins- like I said, we inspired the creation of Bray Wyatt, and Spivey actually worked with, uh, you know, Bray on developing the character because you know Dan Spivey used to team with his with his dad Mike Rotunda as well too. So, you know, it's very interesting how, uh, you know, this guy, uh, Daniel Spivey, uh, 
I think he could have been a, a bigger figure in wrestling than he was. But I thought he, he I thought he was always great. I thought his tag team matches was great. His mullet looked good in this. So good to go. Did you yeah, see his it was mullet? Perfect mullet. Bro, yeah, this guy. <laughs> Holy shit, bro! This, you talk about a mullet. I was like, damn, this guy has it, it to a T. And it wasn't even like the, like the, uh, what I call the forgivable mullet. Like it yeah. was, uh, it was, it was not the, um, the, 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 um, uh, flying Brian mullet where it's just like, you know, it's like cut short in the front. So it's, so it's not in his eyes, yeah. you know, but it's longer everywhere else. It's not that kind of mullet. It's the, it's the Kentucky waterfall mullet. It's like, yes. you know, it's shaved on the sides and spiked up on top, but it's straight long in the back. Straight long in the back, brother. Yep. <laughs> All right. So up next we have the main event. We have the Thunderdome match with yes. special referee Bruno Sammartino, which yes. is very interesting. Which, exactly. Very, very interesting. Because, you know, Bruno Sammartino is known to be the WWF champion. And he's always been the New York guy. You know, he's always been mm -hmm. the Madison Square Garden legend that they would bring. And we talked about Bruno on the show before. You know, he would show up on those Tuesday Night Titans episodes uh, of back in 1985. And, you know, he was trying to get over his son during that era as well, too. And he was still doing some wrestling and stuff. So it was very interesting that he would show up in The Enemy the 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 Crockett's the WCW the NWA and stuff because he was always on the other side during the whole expansion and everything so yeah this this was actually shocking to me when he when he was announced I like I didn't read like what the card was for the most part um, when I watched this and when he came out as the as the referee I was like wow that that had to have been a big get for them yeah um, I mean I knew to get, to, uh, you know I knew Bruno you know went to to to, to WCW a couple of times. Yeah, I don't think he ever wrestled for WCW, but he did do some special appearance like this because I think this is the the time. I think it was around like maybe 97 or, or no, 87 or, or 88 or something like that. He had a falling out with Vince McMahon because of the yeah. way wrestling was going with Hulk Hogan and all this stuff. Uh, he would really hate on Vince McMahon later during the Attitude Era, but he was starting to hate on him during this part of uh, just the way how wrestling was being portrayed and everything. Um, so that's why he, you know, got out of there and was talking shit about him. And that's why he was, you know, making some money in the WCW. But, you know, it just, it, it is, it is weird. You know, it just, to see a guy who, you know, was such big, you know, influence. And in it's kind of like if you saw the, um, it would be, it's like, it's like a, it's like John Cena went to AEW. You know what yeah, I mean? It'd just yeah, be a little weird. Exactly. It'd be exactly like that. It'd be like, whoa, what, you know, what is he doing here? That just doesn't make sense. So, but you know, this match was uh, an interesting one. They had a gimmick, the Thunderdome. What do you think about the Thunderdome? I have questions about the Thunderdome. Okay. Um, now I don't remember. I might have every answers. <laughs> I don't remember every single moment about this, but one thing that I do. So the the gimmick behind the Thunderdome in a largely ungimmick show, they get they put all the gimmicks in this one match. Essentially. Yes. Yes. So basically, <laughs> so the Thunderdome is a cage match. Yes. Um, I can't remember. Does it have a roof on the cage? Yes. It no, it's, roof. it's and it has Halloween it a, and it has Halloween decorations on it. Hang. Yes, it has Halloween decorations hanging from it, and part of the cage is electrified. Yes. But I don't remember anyone ever getting electrocuted, so I'm not sure which parts of the cage are electrified. Maybe they didn't turn it on. Well, okay, you might say that, but then when the, before the match starts, as the cage is coming down, yeah, some of the Halloween decorations set on fire, which is implied 
<laughs> that they were set on fire because of the electricity running through this dangerous Thunderdome cage that they're in. Yes. So my question, my first question to you is, if the cage, if they weren't going to shock anybody, mm-hmm. then why actually, my question is, why would they actually electrify the cage enough to cause this this fire? Which I'm guessing it might have been set on fire due to a light or something in actuality. But this whole thing doesn't make any sense. But they try to explain it as this um, electrical current running through this cage yes. um, that this set this Halloween decoration on fire. Yet anywhere they touched the cage, they never seemed to get shot. What you see was, the gimmick was, <laughs> these four men are so crazy that they don't yes. care about their bodies or life. They will enter this cage just to get out of each other. You know, I mean, they're, they're putting life and limb on the line. And I like, I I, you know, like, oh, you know, like, too, is like, we're, we're in this day. Da- okay. We're in a dangerous cage, right? It's electrified. Yes. All right. But we, we, we got to keep our managers still in the cage, too. <laughs> right. Like we, yeah. It's not dangerous <laughs> well, for the they managers. Well, they have to throw in the towel. That's the yeah, only way to win. Yes. The only way for the wind is dangerous Thunderdome matches to throw in the <laughs> towel. All right. Yes. And of course, you know, <laughs> The interview with Ole Anderson, Ric Flair, and Sting was great. You know, Ole Anderson's like, I'm not taking off this towel. It's attached <laughs> to my hand, brother. And Rick, I don't care uh, if you two die. I'm not throwing this thing yeah, Exactly. And Sting was just like so excited during this whole thing. Like, well, this guy, he's like, he just drank a bunch of cup of coffee, got a cu- cup of coffee, and he was ready to go. And then, you know, Ric Flair was just being Ric Flair. Um, yeah. Face Ric Flair, though. Yes. So this is the, this is I think this was the era where we had um, Oli and Arn and Flair and Sting has the Horsemen, and then of course a couple months later, this is when Flair and all of them would turn against Sting um, to, to do that to do that feud, and then I think they would bring in um, then they brought in Luger, but I'm not exactly sure either Luger or, or Sid. Um, mm. but, but during this, they were fighting Terry Funk and the Great Muda. So, yes. very interesting um, combination there. Um, of course, the great Muda, uh, a very good, you know, he was in the WCW. Like, he would, you know, travel from you know, Japan and stuff uh, to WCW, like, all the time. And I always thought he was great. And, of course, he had great yes. matches with Sting and, you know, Ric Flair and all these guys. And uh, he was definitely um, uh, a very good, uh, interesting presentation. And his manager, Gary Hart. Very good manager as well. I like how I was like, Gary Hart presents the great Muda. I thought that was a good little touch. Uh, Terry Funk, boy, this guy is not. <laughs> he comes out here fucking just pissed off to the yelling at people. People are throwing water at him. He's like freaking out on them. Bro, you, you, I could never get enough of this Terry Funk. This guy is a wild man. Yeah, he's perfect. He is absolutely the perfect wrestler, in my opinion. Yes, especially <laughs> bad guy. Like, he is just yeah. vicious mean nasty like it makes you want to like fucking hate this guy like it's great he has the intensity that's the always thing that i thought terry funk always had great was his intensity at every moment even during like little small moments he would have pretty good intense intensity so i'm not gonna lie and this match to me was a little boring <laughs> Half really? it was like i don't know it was like i just didn't wasn't get into it too much like i thought it, you know some parts were pretty good like i like when they were trying to like push mooders through the cage Jim's Ox- Jim Ox is like, yeah, when- <laughs> I think he's trying to push him through the cage. Yeah, when Sting's trying to push him through the hole in the cage. Yes. Yeah, that was great. And then I like the line from Jim Ross where it was all like, hey, he's like, everybody, Sting used to be called, uh, used to be in this tag team yes. known as the Blade Runners. 
Right. It's like his other partner, though, he's not progressing that well compared to how Sting is. I was like, right, which is which is kind of weird because wasn't wasn't this around the time that so so Sting was in the Blade Runners, which yes. was him and Jim Helwig who became the Ultimate Warrior. Yes. But wasn't this the 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 year? I mean, obviously, this is why Jim Ross said this. I'm not stupid. But like, you know, isn't this the year that um, Ultimate Warrior became like the biggest star in wrestling? Uh, I yeah, like he was on his way to being world champion. Yes, he's definitely on his way. I think he might have been the Intercontinental Champion uh, during this yeah. time. Um, let me see which WrestleMania was around this time in 1989. Okay, so yeah, so basically he he like you're saying he was on his way to being <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior. That is to being one of the biggest stars in, in wrestling. Because, yeah. you know, during this particular time of 1988, he was uh, doing a lot of intercontinental feuds. And, you know, at that WrestleMania, um, he was facing, um, you know, uh, Rick Rude during this time. But it, I think it was at the next year's WrestleMania where he uh, took the belt from Hulk Hogan in that uh, memorable WrestleMania match in Toronto. Yes. So um, it, it was a very interesting comment. by. But, you know, to be honest with you, though, he wasn't necessarily wrong because... You know, Sting, I think what he meant was Sting is a better, well-performer wrestler at this time, which he was. You know, Sting has always been a better wrestler and, to me, character than the Ultimate Warrior. But the Ultimate, well, for sure. The Ultimate, the Ultimate Warrior was just more charismatic. He was more, uh, uh, you know, like a little bit more bigger, I would just say. You know, a little bit more oh, Vince yeah, McMahon-like, okay. you know what I mean? More character. I, yeah, I can see that. More I cartoon. can see that. But I was like, yeah. I don't know, like, like somebody saying that someone else is more charismatic than staying is pretty amazing. But yeah, uh, when you qualified that, I, I, I agree. Like it's more like he was, he was, he was very Vince McMahon. He was very Hulk Hogan, like larger than life. And yes. sting was sting was just more of a, like, you know, I surfed earlier today and then I painted my face. Yeah, and exactly. now we're going to wrestle. Yeah, exactly. kind of- <laughs> sting was more, sting was more of like a, a, a leveled, a leveled, champion you know a level leveled wrestler you know but you know obviously i mean those two are one of the biggest all-time legends in in wrestling so what what a what a just a very interesting tag team i would say the blade runners yeah so which didn't even last that long too no i mean i've never seen a blade runners but well i have now but the only thing I know, the only thing that I got from a Blade Runner that, that I've seen from Blade Runners is when WWE put out that Sting uh, dual Blu-ray a few years ago. Yeah, um, I bought that, and it has like Sting's whole story in it, and it's got the, um, you know, it's got some Blade Runner stuff in that. Yep. Um, but so this is 1989. Obviously, the internet doesn't exist, and I just can't imagine a lot of people are reading like the Wrestling Observer and the dirt sheets and things like that. Not like regular fans. So, like, how inside baseball is that? Like, how many people are going to pick up on what Jim Ross is saying? Do yeah, you think? that is very inside baseball because you would have to know the backstory yeah. of both those wrestlers at the time to even get yeah. what he was talking about. Right. You'd have to know that the other Blade Runner is now the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. And, I mean, back then you probably wouldn't even have seen the Blade Runners. If you did, you probably, probably forgot about them. Yeah, you know true. what I mean. Because so I think that's a really weird comment, like yeah. to make on air. Although you know he's doing it to slap Vince McMahon, though. Yeah, yeah. But I always thought I thought that was a fun a fun one. 
And um, which is also ironic because wouldn't he get fired like the next year and then go work for Vince McMahon for like 20 years? Yeah, it might have been two years later, but uh, Bischoff would fire him pretty soon and then he would go work for Vince McMahon. Yeah, in a very high position for about 20 years or so. Yeah, well, but he came in during WrestleMania nine, so it was a couple years um, after this. So I think he came in around like 93, somewhere yeah. around there. So and and then he does say one other funny thing that I don't know if you caught. It was a typical uh, Jim Rossism. Um, so you know how a lot of people give Jim Ross shit now, and they say that he's like his memory's bad. He doesn't know what he's talking about, um, and he would always make these stupid mistakes. Yeah. But he does that, but I think he's always done that. He did that in this show. Like before this match started, there's somebody wearing a Road Warriors mask. Oh, yeah. A I caught kid that wearing too. a Road Warriors mask. Yeah. And then he says, um, he's like, um, and and he says it so non-ironically. Like he like this is definitely not him making a joke. It just sounds like he's just sincere when he says, like, he's like, I don't he's like, I don't know what that is. He's like, is that a Muda mask? He's like, is it near Halloween? Yeah. And I'm like, the show's called Halloween Havoc, Jim. <laughs> like, yes, it's near Halloween. Yeah. Well, also, too, the uh, Bob Cottle, he also said that, too, is all like, is like, oh, it must be Halloween. Well, no shit. It's fucking Halloween Havoc. <laughs> <laughs> but I caught that, too, where like it's like the hawk mask. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a great Muda mask. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? No, it's not. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> Uh, so so a little bit about the match. Uh, I like the part where Sting gets his foot caught in the in the in the, the cage. Apparently, Oli has yeah. to like take it off while like <laughs> Ric Flair is begging for his life in a. Um, the, I, I've seen Daniel Bryan do this move before. It's where we where you you bend. You, basically, you're doing like a back bend and you're grabbing the guy's neck and stuff. I forgot what that move yeah. is called, but it's a really cool like submission looking move. Uh, I thought that part was good. And then um, eventually, the uh, uh, Gary Hart throws in the towel by accident, apparently, and apparently. that's how the uh, uh, Flair and Sting won. And I thought that was really weird too, because okay. this is did you? I don't know if you caught this too, because I thought this is very interesting. Was Jim Ross is like, hey everybody, you know, after the show gets off the air, come join me and and Gordon Sullivan and and Dan Spy and, and you know like in uh, Bob Cottle and stuff. We're gonna be talking after the after this show about the show. Kind of like a, like a, you know how they do in like the, the NFL, the you know, they do a pregame or, you know, yeah. an after game show. Right. And I thought it was just very interesting because, you know, we don't see that a whole lot in, in wrestling. And I thought they, I thought this particular era of WWE, they were trying to make it more like sports oriented, which I, um, I kind of liked. I thought it was a pretty good um, presentation. You know, I liked it when the match would just end, everybody just leaves. And then you just get Jim Rosh and Bob Carl talking a little bit about the match and stuff, and everybody's just walking out of the building, and you know, right. we're just like we're still on the air. It's like this is yeah. interesting, you know, because you know nowadays and even back then too, shit, you fucking attack, pin, celebrate off the air. This is like okay, we're all all the hype and all the pyros that we just had these two announcers talking about it. You know, you know, you know where I see that a lot in is New Japan. New Japan yes. does that a lot. Where after the main event, the uh, well, New Japan does it where they have a great main event, you know, very hard hitting main event. Then you get the baby face, whoever the champion is, or even the heel. They'll do a long promo. They might get challenged by somebody, and then after all that stuff, they just walk to the back. Then you just see a big. Uh, then the, the cameras are still rolling where everybody's leaving their seats, and the announcers are talking. So I always thought yeah, that and was then a they pretty do like press basically. Yeah, yeah, they did the press. 
And I, I like that. I think I think AEW would benefit from doing something like that because you know AEW is. Um, I think they do a pretty good mix of doing like the entertainment part with the sports part, but I think they could do that that little, you know, a little bit more of the the, the press in the back. I think they still do the press in the back because I I remember that they actually do that. You know, where they after the the big shows they'll they'll talk to the press and stuff. But I like it where they would just leave it and we could kind of see the announcers talking while everybody's leaving the building. I don't know. For some reason, I thought that's a kind of a cool aspect you can do in wrestling. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they should do more of that. Like, I mean, you know, because the AEW is supposed to be more sports based. So it's 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 really like New Japan. Like, you know, it's kind of like it's set up like New Japan set up to where wins and losses matter um, sometimes. Um, except when they don't wins in AEW wins and losses matter except when they don't. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think I agree. Like AEW would be great. Like, like tonight is double or nothing. So it'd be kind of cool if after double or nothing, they had like, you know, press releases or like not press releases, but like, uh, uh press conferences. So the press are there. And even if they're fake press, even if they're not real journalists, which I'm not, I'm pretty sure that the ones in new Japan are not real journalists either, but but it would be kind of cool if they, you know, had people meeting and then like had some of the new Japan guys maybe invade, which I still think that's going to happen tonight anyway. But, you know, have some of the new Japan guys invade, invade the press conference to set up the forbidden door pay-per-view, which is coming up next month. Yes. So, you know, the rapid bell on Halloween havoc 1989, I thought this show was awesome. Like I love yes. the presentation of it. I like the look of it. I mean, like, if I saw this, you know, during the 80s, I'd be like, fuck, this is this is my stuff. Like going going in I have a very like soft spot going in from 1989 to like 90s WCW. Like I thought they had like a really good roster. You know, obviously they had some backstage politic issues, you know. And they weren't as um uh flashy has the WWF, but I, boy, I thought they had some great matches. I thought they had some great characters. Um, the in-ring work was just phenomenal during this particular mm-hmm. era of WCW. So I definitely am um, very fond of this show. And of course, H- Halloween Havoc, like I was saying, you know, it was one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time. Probably um, on this show, maybe when we get close to Halloween, um, I was thinking about doing a couple of Lights Out episodes where we can just dedicate a whole episode to a couple of Halloween Havocs that are our favorites. Yes. So that would be very absolutely fun. agree. So, but let's move on. Uh, we got a whole lot to talk about. Uh, let's get into some of the metal. What was happening? What do we be listening to when we're heading to the Phantom of the Opera? Are we listening to some metal? Or we got some, uh, we got to get ourselves pumped up for some classical music. <laughs> oh, no, we, we're listening to some metal. We, and I got the perfect pump up album for this. So, uh, our, our movie came out on what, the 3rd of November? Yes. Yeah, and then, um, you know, this uh, Halloween Havoc show was a little bit before that. This album came out a little bit later. It came out about five days later. Um, but, um, I, you know, like, like I've been saying lately, you know, we want this show to be entertaining and educational. So I wanted to bring up this band just in case anybody listens to the show out there hasn't listened to them before or if you haven't listened to them before, maybe. Um, are you familiar with the band Running Wild? Ooh, Running Wild, No. Yeah. So Running Wild is um, they were considered by a lot of people to be one of the big four of German power metal bands, which the other ones would be Halloween, of course, um, uh, Rage and Gravedigger. 
was the other one. Gravedigger is a fantastic band, but we're not talking about them this week. Um, but anyway, um, on November the 8th of 1989, um, Running Wild released this album called Death or Glory. And at this point, they had moved out of their... When they first started, they were more like a mystical, quasi-satanic type band. But they had moved out of that by this point. And they were they were writing songs about history and... They started writing songs about pirates. They were like one of the first pirate metal bands. And there's some pirate metal songs on this album, like Tortuga Bay and Riding the Storm and stuff like that. But um, they were definitely like this amazing German power metal band. And their album, Death or Glory, came out November the 8th. So we would definitely be putting that in the tape deck of the Trans Am to listen to for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at um, a photo of these guys. They're like behind, yes, they're like, <laughs> they're like behind a skull. And they have like these like they actually look like pirate outfits on them. It's like this 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 like this mm-hmm. like black uh like mid uh mid uh medieval pirate outfits going on yes. over here. And you <laughs> yeah, that was are, kind of their gimmick sort of. Yeah. I like it though. Like it's it's different. Like, you know, a lot of times when we see like the leather and the spikes and shit, it's more like a like a Road Warriors like, you know, type type of guy, uh, vibe. But I like this uh you could tell like this is mostly is it power metal? It is power metal. Yeah, for you sure. could tell that you could tell that these guys are just ready to rock, and they got this. They had their own like unique um, little gimmick over here. Um, mm. oh, this one. Then they, um, yeah, they they didn't always wear the pirate stuff. Like yeah. like some most of the time, like when you see them play live, they're just wearing regular leather metals, like heavy metals, you know, spikes and leather and stuff like that. Um, around this time too, they released a, um, a, um, EP called wild animal. That's also really good. It has four songs that aren't on this album. Um, but yeah, running wild with, um, um, uh, death or glory that this is, this is a fantastic album. We should definitely play something from this album on the way out tonight. Hey, check out the picture I sent you. I might post this on the Facebook page. Cause boy, <laughs> You talk about 80s. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Are you looking definitely. at it? Well, they definitely had the they definitely had the sprayed hair and, and the shit like that. Because that's what you had to do if you were in a metal band. Here's the dude in the middle. This guy, he can't even see his face. His hair is so big. Yeah, that guy's wearing a helmet. He's got a hair helmet. <laughs> oh my shit. It looks like it looks like yes, it looks like he's wearing a helmet. <laughs> oh, that's a great picture. I'm at um, like I don't. They're fantastic. There's just like a whole lot of shit going on in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> like the dude here on the left. Like I like his haircut. It's pretty nice. He has a little vest gimmick going on. The guy on the right looks very serious. Uh, I'm guessing the main singer is the one on top with like the fucking uh, spiked jacket with the fucking uh, necklace in the middle. But this dude right here in the bottom. I never seen such a big ass hair in my life. But everybody, I have to post yeah. that picture for everybody to check it out. Definitely, definitely yeah, pretty cool. Pretty sure the singer, the singer is the guy at the top. Yeah, um, yeah, it's um, yeah, the, the, it's 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 amazing. But I mean, you know, it's typical like the 1980s look. You know, that's how bands felt like they had to look if they wanted to be famous in the the world of the of the Motley Crues and the Poisons and that shit. But this is nothing like that, though. This is like straight power metal. I mean, it's fantastic. So good. Yeah, what we'll do is we'll play a little bit from them on the Facebook, and then we'll play a song at the end as well, too. But yeah, a whole lot of history going on during this particular time. I always like talking about 1989. I 
because uh, you know to me it's getting a little bit more into the 90s and i just think it's very it's it i think it's a very good fun year you know a lot of fun stuff happened around uh 1989 um but let's get into the main topic let's get into phantom of the opera so before we get into the review i just want to talk a little bit about some of the behind the scenes uh of this movie um so this movie was uh, it was directed by Dwight H. Little, mm-hmm. and it was based off the a novel from 1910 of the same name, uh, written by uh, Gaston. Um, so it's you know, and then obviously the the film has a very uh, murderous villain, uh, of course played by Robert England, who was obviously known for being Freddy and all the Freddy Kruegers, and it's very interesting to see uh, Robert England in different roles. Yeah. And Dwight Little had directed Halloween 4, I believe, right before this. Ooh, nice. Yes. Um, Which is why he was picked. Um, There's a lot of interesting um, things about this movie. Um, Because it was... Do you remember on our um, New Year's episode when we did New Year's Evil, we we talked about Canon Films? Do you remember me talking about that? Yes. Okay, so Canon Films was run by uh, Menachem Golan, um and after canon canon films i think it already folded by this point yes but menachem golan had started 21st century films who produced this movie and this is uh, menachem golan produced this movie and this is a very menachem golan film because they picked they did this movie because the phantom of the opera had just become public domain which to, to him was like oh I don't have to pay any rights for this. Let's just make a movie about this because it's free. Oh yeah, go do it. And then they did it because they he had they had just made um, a TV series with that starred Roger Daltrey called A Three Penny Opera, which took place in England. And they had built these sets um, representing, um, you know, they built these sets for the for the you know the Jack the Ripper era London, and they hadn't struck the sets yet. So um, he was like, well, let's just do Phantom of the Opera, but instead of setting it in Paris, we'll set it in London because we've already got these sets built. And they use the same sets for Phantom of the Opera as they did for Three Penny Opera. Nice. So uh, something really quick about Dwight Little. I like it where his film resume reads as follows. So this motherfucker, not only did he do Halloween for Return of Michael Myers, but before that he did Free Willy 2. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine going you from know, Free Willy 2 to Michael Myers. That'd be a, a pretty uh, interesting... I, f- uh, I, feel like, I feel like there's a lost crossover there. Yes. That we could have had uh, Free Willy and Michael Myers in the same movie. I think I think that's definitely something that we, we missed. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at some of the... He mostly did like horror because he did Mark for Death, Rapid Fire, Murder at 1600, Free Willy 2. That's crazy. That's random. Well, Mark for Death is a, is a Van Damme movie, right? Yes. So and then um and Rapid Fire had Brandon Brandon Lee in it. So he did a couple action movies in a row. Yeah. And then uh then he did whatever he did after that, I guess. <laughs> Very interesting. Um also too, you know, like you were saying, you know, the Canon, you know, they filed for bankruptcy and stuff. Um so the film was passed on to twenty first century film corporation. Um and apparently the twenty first century, you know, corporation planned to do a follow up. Check this. Yes. Check, check out sequel. The, yes, the sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Check out this. Uh, check out this one and see if you ever heard this one before. So we're gonna have Phantom of the Opera two, Terror in Manhattan. Sounds great. The Phantom takes Manhattan. 
And they way, did actually make this movie, though, right? Doesn't it say somewhere that they actually did rewrite the script and make it as another movie? Oh, yeah? Let's see. Let's see. So so this was supposed to be in which the fam lives in sewers of present-day Manhattan. Television writer Duke Senderfer was hired to add booking segments <laughs> set in present-day Manhattan to O'Henry's script so that the film would tie into its proposed sequel. Ultimately, the sequel was not made. But the book segment segments remained in the film. So, so, so the, basically, you know, England he was under contract to appear in a sequel, but it was canceled after the film's poor reception, and has been the subject yes. of numerous rumors. Fangoria magazine stated in 1991 that the script was rewritten into the, what beca- what became 1992's film Dance Macabre, also starring England. Yeah. So basically, he. Yeah, like you're saying, they basically rewritted it and it became this movie, Dance uh, Macrobe. So. Yeah, which, you know, because they're saying that that may or may not be true. I mean, you know, they're, they think they think so. But yeah, so there's it's rumored that they actually did film the script, a rewritten version of the script the next year. Um, but I've never seen that movie. And I've never seen the Dance Macabre movie, so I don't know what... Uh, I've known, I, don't, I don't know anything about it, so it's something I'm going to look for, for sure. Yeah, it's 1992. Yeah. American slasher, so it might be a good one to do during one of our lights out episodes. Yes. Um, I, I don't think I've heard about this one either. Let's see. Now it it was basically uh I'm not even let's see. The Dance Academy in Russia, which is run by the crippled Madame, has a new rival of girls dancers. So it looks like this would be some sort of dance film. So basically they're just it's it's basically like a rewritten style. Of, I guess how this movie is supposed to be. So, but I thought you know I thought um, he did a pretty good job playing the Phantom over here. Actually, I thought this movie was very well produced. I, I did too. I thought this was a good. I mean, pretty good film. I mean, you know, it's not like the first movie I would pick to show to somebody, but yeah, I mean, no. it's like um, it was pretty good, and it had has a cool swerve at the end that we don't that you don't see coming. It's almost yes. like a double swerve, really. Yes. Right. Yes. Very, very, very interesting swerve there. But um, how about we get into, let's get let's, into it? Let's get into yeah. it. But let's get into the Phantom of the Opera. Some stories have so great a power that with each new generation, they are reborn. There's a feeling, a passion. But it had to come from somewhere. No phantom ghosts do not skin their victims. This is the work of an artist. We will make music that the world will love forever. Take the last step to me. You are the angel. You are my voice. I feel him and I hear him. I don't want this feeling ever to go away. The Phantom of the Opera, the all-time horror classic. The Phantom is real. It has a name. Is now a major motion picture. You love the music. I am the music. A lot of people are dead, Mr. Dutton, and the murderer is in your house. Someone is doing murder in Christine Day's name. Our souls are one. No! 
Robert Englund is... You're him, aren't you? The Phantom of the Opera. The Phantom of the Opera. Only love and music are forever. Alright, so we start off the film with, uh, with a little quote. Alright, a, bi- a Bible quote. It says, Pray for them who've given their immortal souls unto Satan, for each is damned to relive that wrecked, wretched life through all times. And it was written by uh, St. Jean. Written the day of his execution. Okay. It was written by St. Jean. I'm going to screw up this name like I do every name. Vitidus? <laughs> uh, sure. That's close enough. Of Rome. Written the day of his execution. March 7th, 1544. All right. Remember that quote as we get into the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. So, this is filmed in New York. Okay? Am I right? Yes. Okay, cool. It was, yeah. Gotham City. Is Gotham City supposed to be New York or, or Chicago? So, I, I feel like Gotham City is supposed to be New York. Me too. Um, originally. Like, I feel like um, I feel like Gotham City is definitely supposed to be New York, and maybe Metropolis is supposed to be Chicago. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I always thought that too, but I could see how sometimes I could think it's Chicago as well. But anyway, we're in New York. Um, I like uh, we I like how you know we see a record store, Tower Records. Did you know? So, yes. Yeah, so I have a funny story about this. Yeah. Um. So I have been to that Tower Records many times. Oh, nice. Um. But I did not know. I did. I mean, I, I think I have seen this movie before, but I didn't remember anything about it. Um. But um, it's interesting, um, the things that they talk about. Um, so I've been to that Tower Records. It's like right around the corner from Lincoln Center. So like when I used to go up there, um, to, to, I had a friend who lived in New York, and I, I used to go see him all the time. And I've been in that Tower Records many times. Um, and I thought it was amazing because it was like the biggest record store I'd ever seen in my life. Um, but yeah, so um, this was actually pretty true to life. Like I thought it was a little bit odd at first what they were saying, what they were talking about, but it was actually pretty true to life because it was uh, the Lincoln Center students would often go to this Target, I mean Target, to this uh, Tower Records, and that was a pretty uh, that was a pretty known thing. So that was that was really common. Yeah, I think um, we talked about on the show before about um, the love of going to a record store. Like, we don't really yes. have that nowadays. But I always like going to record stores and, you know, hunting, searching for the newest CD or a CD that you you might have found about this band from one of your friends or something like that. And do you mm-hmm. go in there and you, you find their album, you get to see the album cover. I, I don't know. I still like collecting CDs and stuff. I know you do with the vinyls and stuff, too. It's like, there's just something about the art cover and stuff. Like, you know, nowadays, we yes, we get it on our phone. It's very easy that way. It's It's, mm-hmm. it's easy to travel with. But there's just something about having the the CD or the record, the vinyl. So yeah, it's, it was kind of cool going into record stores and, and seeing covers of records that you didn't know what they were, and like, wow, it's a cool cover. I wonder if this is good. Yes. So now we have we meet our first uh, character, Christine. Christine Day. She's the main mm-hmm. character of our film, and she's looking for Meg. And they are um, so this Meg girl, like the first one, the one the the. The, the first Meg. Was she that she looked exactly mm. like that girl from Seinfeld? Well, okay, so it's funny that you would say that. So she does look like her, but that's Molly Shannon from Saturday Night Live. 
Gotcha. Okay. But she wouldn't be on Saturday Night Live for like another 20 years yeah, or 20 something years, or yes. more. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting to see her like this young age um, mm-hmm. in this. Uh, I first, when I, when I, I like, I, when I did my research, I, I found out I was that lady from Saturday Night Live. That's probably where I, like, I recognized her face from. But to me, in this film, she looked like the, the girl from Seinfeld, you know, the main girl from Seinfeld. So, yeah, they look, yeah they I can pretty, see that. They look pretty close. So, their gimmick is they are both opera singers. Okay. And there's some sort of opera play. And apparently, Meg has found a, a rare, uh, 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 song uh, scripture, all right. She found it yeah. in between a couple books, okay? right? And she's like, Hey, this shit's you know, it's really good and stuff, it's gonna be very different. And, um, apparently, um, Christine is like reading a little bit of it and she's intrigued, she wants, she wants some more of it, but they can't find it, so they start looking around, I guess, the library of written music and. Eventually, Meg's like, oh, shit, it's almost like midnight. We should leave here. And then she starts to get her stuff. And then eventually, Christine finds some more pages. She starts singing the song. And there's some blood on her hands and blood on the pages. Yeah. It's a foreshadow of things to come. Yes. And this is also, too, when they're talking about the composer of this particular uh, music piece. Eric Disler. Yes. Disler. He was a man. He was a, a a composer of music, but he brutally murdered twelve people. And our girl Meg's like, "Oh, he was a composer by day, murder by night." <laughs> <laughs> yes. What a uh, what what a perfect takeaway. For yes. That. Yes. And then uh, eventually they get um, uh, Meg it pulls them away, and they go do some auditioning. <laughs> And don't they mention here that yeah. he was responsible for an opera singer that disappeared? Yes. Yeah, so he killed a bunch of people, and then this opera singer disappeared that he was obsessed with or something like that. Yes, yes. So the story of the Phantom. So um, the, <laughs> this part reminded me. I don't know why it reminded me of, um, what's that show? Um, oh, God. Not America's Got Talent, but the first famous one they did. Um, the one American with the, Idol, yeah, American Idol, yeah. Like everybody just practicing singing their opera music in the line and shit. And this guy was all like, "All right, who you are? Who who are you? I'm this person." And she's singing. He's like, "All right, get out of here." Next. So we get our yeah, girls. Well, yeah, that's kind of how auditions work. You know, you you like, what are you gonna sing for me? Okay, sing it. All right, next. Yeah, next. Yes. Uh, you only got yeah, pretty much how the auditions are. You pretty much got about. <laughs> Five minutes, maybe, to to wow, wow the person until they tell you to mm-hmm. hit rocks. So Meg and Christine, they decide to sing the the music that they found, uh, and they they do that and they're singing and stuff, and everybody's intrigued by it. They're like, oh, this is really good. And I noticed right away. Listen, this is the singing was great in this movie. You know, I'm not, I'm personally not the biggest opera kind of guy, but I do like the macabre of opera singing you know what i mean the the yeah, gothic yeah, the sure. gothicness the the uh, the pompousness of the of the opera singing the the classiness and shit you know i don't know if i can myself i can handle uh, a full opera sec uh, you know have you ever seen an opera yeah um i think that if you saw the right opera 
live, then you would you would you would re- be more into it. Okay, listening to opera on on a recording is difficult um, because you don't get. Well, I guess it's a lot like listening to, to a the recording of a Broadway play. Like you, you know, you get the music, but you don't get the story, the, all the story, and you don't get the acting, and you don't get the the props and things. But like, but yeah, like some of those Wagner operas are just fantastic. You would you would really dig those, I think, if you watched one. Yeah. So basically, you know, they they are trying to get this 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 part. So she's singing a song. Everybody's intrigued by it, and then eventually, like part of the stage crew, I guess he dropped something. And it goes flying into some glass. The, the the glass shatters and everything. And then now we're getting transformed in back into time. You see a carriage. You see this guy saying Christine, Christine during the whole time. And now we have awoken in 1881 England. Yes. Now we're on the set of a three-penny opera. Yes. <laughs> and now Meg has transformed into some uh, 1881 English... Uh, uh, opera singing girl totally different than her mm-hmm. or her other character and she is like getting her up and apparently like there was like a whole accident and it's weird too because the christine in it wasn't like a time travel thing it was all like the christine in this time period knew she was in this time period like you know she didn't know she was in the the, um, the earlier time period yes you know what i mean um no so wait so yeah so she she thought that she was in the 1800s yeah but she wasn't like hey yes. i'm not supposed to be here like i'm right this yes is not my right, time period yeah. she she acted like everything right. was normal yeah so she was like uh, yeah so it's yeah right it's not time travel per se it's like she's um she is that person in the past yes yes right exactly. it's, it's one of those gimmicks where your great 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 grandma just looks exactly like you Right, exactly like that. So yeah, so it it, it is kind of odd. Yes. Um, but I mean, this is a typical gimmick, though, right? We see yes. this a lot, and and especially genre movies, like you know, you you go back in time and the well, we saw it in Back to the Future, right? Like the we go back in time and our ancestor looks just like us, exactly like us. Yeah, exactly. Yes, my great great grandpa looks exactly like me. <laughs> from that Almost time as as if they're played by the same person. <laughs> exactly. So this is when uh, they help her up, and she goes back. And apparently, Christine is now uh, she's like has an adrenaline rush. She is ready to go. She is feeling good. And they keep talking all this quick dialogue about plays and who's going to be the star and everything. Um, and then eventually, we get some of the the ring crew. Um, ring crew. <laughs> yes, that's what I call them. The ring yes, crew. Yes, the ring crew. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Talking about like, hey, did you see Christine? You, they're they're talking about how they. So we see a little bit of the Phantom and his face during this time, uh, and then we see the the I call them the Ring Crew, but they're like the the you know the crew the the play. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We get it. We understand. But um, they were talking about like, yeah, you seen this Phantom guy? He like roams these halls, and and the other guys like, you weren't staring at no Phantom. You were just staring at that Christine girl the whole time. And uh, we're just having some back and forth. Yeah, and the, the guy was talking about, you know, Christine and everything. And then eventually all the stage crew people leave. The ring crew, they all leave. And then we get the first sight of the Phantom. And he goes up, talks to this 
a stagehand crew guy, um, which is, uh, I'm pretty sure his name was uh, Joseph. And he goes to Joseph, he's all like, you know, you know, what, what happened? Did you almost, you know, hurt this girl, Christine and stuff? It's always just an accident and stuff. And then they, they talk about like, you know, it's like, it's okay, let's just have a drink about it. And then eventually <laughs> he, uh, he tricks him and he, he suspends him off uh, the, uh, kind of like on the rope that they have high up there and he eventually cuts his whole body. So we have our first killing by the Phantom. Mm. And, and did we explain that? Um, so she had the accident yeah. where she gets hit in the head by the sandbag in modern times, but yeah. that accident also happened in the past. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. I didn't know if we explained that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's like a, a, it coincided together. Mm-hmm. So after this, after the Phantom does his thing, this is a, an interesting scene. So the the Phantom, uh, I'm just gonna call him the Phantom because it's just yeah, it's a little er, better than Eric or Robert or whatever. The Phantom. He talks to Christine. And Christine's like, oh, it's you. He's like, yes, it's me. And this thing, I don't know why I thought it was... Listen, this movie is very classy and has a lot of classy stuff. But for some reason, this this scene was just, it was cracking me up. I don't know why. Because he was all like... He was all like... She's all like... Hold on. She's all like, hey, how come we don't show yourself? I was like, I can't show myself right now. But I need you to sing for me. She's like, What? You want me to sing? Yes, I need you to sing for me right now. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm not really sure what to do. It's like, it's like, what part should I sing for you? It's like, I need you to sing the lead. She's like, oh, I can't do the lead. He's like, you must sing the lead. And she starts singing a little bit, and you can obviously tell it's like fucking lip singing. <laughs> for, yes, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, you could definitely tell that uh, yeah. the girl that's playing, uh, Christine, is not uh yes. is is not is not really singing in this. Yeah, apparently who did the singing for her was this girl named Nancy Fontaine. So apparently she did all the singing for the voice of Christine, and it was good. You know, I liked the the singing was great in the movie. That that was fine. But just this particular scene where the Phantom guy was like, she starts singing. He was like, sing. Like he's like, no, with passion, like an angel. I don't know why I think that was just just the way he was saying it. It felt like he was like jerking off in the back room or something like that. It's like kick, kick, give in. So, yeah, like, and one thing about this movie is like, uh, and for obvious reasons, but like, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, the fan of the opera Broadway play, mm-hmm. and every time, when I, uh, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm comparing it to that. So, like in this whole scene, so the scene like that in in, in Phantom Play is like where he's like. Where he's like singing, where he's like screaming, like um, "Sing for me!" and and, and while, while she's singing over the top of it, um, obviously done much better there than it is in this version. But but yeah, this so that scene that's a that's a scene that's also in the musical where yeah. he's like talking to her through the mirror. Yeah, um, which I'm assuming is in the book. I've never read this book, but I'm assuming it's in the book. Well, well, I mean, it's a good scene. Like the scene made sense. You know, obviously the Phantom is trying to get her to to uh, uh, bring out her inner singing. It's just like. Yeah. <laughs> It just the way he was like expressing it made him seem like you know obviously he was he was just so ob- obsessed with the passions of singing like he just wanted to hear this girl sing for him so he can get his pleasure off of it that's what it sounded like to right me. yeah that's definitely that's definitely the way this is portrayed you know because he's like obsessed with her already yes but it's also I felt like it was really weird that she wasn't she didn't seem to be that surprised that this person was talking to her. Well, no, because we found out later that she thought that this phantom was sent by her father to be oh, like, yeah, to be, to be like right. her guardian angel and her teacher. 
So she, at this point, she is getting lessons by this phantom, and um, she is just she wants to see what he looks like, but he's just you know obviously she hasn't seen what he looks like. She just hears his voice all the time, right? So, and um, and then he's like he's like eventually she she does a really good you know spirits and she puts all of her stuff into it and he's like you're ready the world will will hear you and they'll love you um so now we're getting ready for the show uh, or or a show and then we have um one of our um our main guys and uh it was the uh there's two people who own the opera there's a character richard and then we have this character um oh god what was the guy's name it was uh, the guy who's played by the guy in Underworld. Mm, I think it was uh, uh, Martin. Martin. You're talking about the guy Bill Nye, Nye yeah. plays, right? Yes. Yeah, Martin. Yeah, Martin. So Martin is very obsessed with the the main opera uh, attraction. This blonde girl named La Carette. And we see her taking a bath and everything, and she's going over like how she's basically you know, a star, like she's acting like a star and everything. And this Martin guy was all like, it was weird because at first I thought Martin was like her agent or something, but I guess he was not only her agent, maybe boss, but he also like liked her too. So it was a very weird combination that they had. And um, he, you know, they're going back and forth about contracts and stars and stuff. And eventually she just like blows him away. You know, it's just like, hey, you know, I'll go out there when I want to. She's basically being like a diva, like a diva kind of star. Yes. And Martin, well, yeah. And Mar- the Martin guy was kind of like calls her a bitch and stuff. <laughs> and then eventually um, the the La Correct girl, she asks for her assistant. And she eventually slips on some blood. She opens up the cabinet. And this is when we see the, the guy from earlier, Joseph. And he is skinned alive. Yes. And at first I was like, shit, is this Hellraiser? Like, where did this shit come from? So... But he's basically it's very Hell, Hellraiser like. Yes. So he's in there and stuff, and she's he, the guy's like he's still alive. He's like talking to her. I thought this part was pretty nasty, and then she just gets freaked out and she fucking pulls back and stuff. So. Mm. Um. And but then, yeah, she's Carlotta is like the star. Yeah. So she's like yeah, that's why she's acting this way is because she's the star and she thinks the show can't go on without her. Exactly. Like Phantom she, has other plans. Yes. Because, so, during this particular era, this is like the city's entertainment. These are the celebrities. The celebrities are the opera singers. And, of course, they, they, you know, whoever's the main attraction, you know, gets the most praise, gets the most uh, uh, talking to about in the newspaper. Because we would see that on this this, uh, episode where, or this, you know, this movie, that we had a, a journalist on there. And whatever he would write, he would be like the critique of the opera stuff and you know obviously mm-hmm. what what people would read they would you know take the heart kind of like we like a movie critic nowadays and stuff so yes yeah she's the uh she's the main event carlotta is the draw she's the yes. rick flair of the opera exactly so this is like uh we have a couple we have like this two random guys talking about this rumor of a phantom outside of england so we kind of see the whole scenery and stuff People are, and then we have all the people getting ready for the the play that's about to happen. So they're all kind of coming in, uh, big crowd and stuff. Um, so um, we they're noticing that the, the the play's being halted a little bit. And then we had this one guy saying like, "Hey, you know, Lady Carlette is not you know feeling well. 
and stuff. So she she will not be performing tonight. Who will be performing the main part is going to be Christina. And then people are kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we paid. It's kind of like, you know, we paid for a WWF house show. We were supposed to get Hulk Hogan, but we're going to be getting the Macho Man now. Okay. Well, Some people yeah. might like the Macho Man better than Hulk Hogan. So we'll, we'll right. see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so and, and then, you know, the stuff, this is when um, uh, Martin and then Richard, Martin's just going like, this fucking bitch. Like, she probably is just holding this shit up because of her damn contract. She wants some more money. That's, so that's basically what he was thinking. Like, he was thinking, like, he, she just wants to hold up this whole play and stuff. She's just being a diva and shit. And Richard's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, maybe I'll go check on her and make sure she's okay and see if she's actually, like, hurt or stuff. So he, Richard goes and goes, goes, goes check on her. And this is when we actually have some detectives walk in. So we have um, Inspector Hawkins. No, not the guy mm-hmm. from Stranger Things. No, this is a different Hawkins. Okay. He is uh, he's looking through the whole room and stuff. I thought this part was pretty interesting. So he's looking through like the whole you know area where the Joseph died and stuff and got skinned alive. And uh, one of the police officers is all like, hey, you know, this is looks like the work of a phantom because the phantom guy is supposed to be here in the theater and he's supposed to be, you know, he has a messed up face and stuff. And Sparky's like, no, it ain't no damn phantom. This is the work of a the artist. I was like, okay. The artist. Yeah, so basically he was saying that the, the phantom rumor was just a rumor. No, no yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Part, yes. But he called him an artist. So basically what he meant by, he meant like a serial killer. Like he meant like uh, Jack the Ripper. Like I think that's what he was trying to like get at. Right, okay, I got you, yeah. But I'm actually saying... This just, would have been the same type of time, I guess. Yeah, because he was all like, hey, I've seen this before. This is the work of an artist. Which, you know, maybe during this this particular time period, they didn't call them serial killers. They called them probably like, you know, like artists or like some madmans or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? So I, I like that yeah, part okay. where they didn't... I like that part where in the script they didn't add on the, like, newer, newer talking, you know, for like oh, nowadays. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I know some little things like that. I like that. So... um so this is when we get uh, Christine, and she is now doing her parts, and she blows the audience away, kind of. Like, some of them are looking happy, some of them are not looking happy. Boy, this phantom guy, you might as well just fucking uh, put him in a candy store, because this guy was so happy. Like, you could not sit him down, like, shit, this, i never seen somebody happier in my life than this guy was. Yeah, well, he's getting what he wants, right? He's he knows Christine's better a better yes. singer than Carlotta, and he's gonna make sure that everybody knows that. Yes, and Inspector Hawkins, he wants the whole theater to be looked over. You know, to find them, see whoever the artist the person. Yes, to find the artist. Yes. The artist. No, not the Phantom. The, the Phantom. That's a rumor, Allison. Right, I know. I, I misspoke. I misspoke. I I, I kind of broke kayfabe there, but yes. yeah. So the artist, the artist. There the is artist. no Phantom. There is no Phantom. There's no phantom. It's a rumor. Yes. So this is when um, isn't this the part where they're doing the the uh, the opera? They're doing Faust or no? Yeah. This is just basically when uh, yeah she's like she's just you know going over the you know talk you know she's doing her performance everything is going good uh, and then we get the we we kind of see some of the characters we're gonna be meeting later on in the film 
And this is also too when we we get the inspector and Richard they meet up and stuff. And then the inspector is basically saying, you know, he needs to uh, check all the areas of the uh, theater. So this is when we have the Phantom. He's outside and it's snowing. This is after the whole performance is done and everything. And this is kind of a weird one. I didn't really see this one coming, but it's very interesting. So he's walking outside. People are kind of looking at him because he has his face covered up. And he walks past this like, I guess it's like a street hooker. Mm, or I guess yeah. you would call him like a harlot back in the day. Yeah. He like walked right. past her. And he like walks back up to her and looks at her. And they stare at each other for a minute. And he puts his arm out. And the girl's like, oh shit, I got a job tonight. And then they go back to her place. And, or I, maybe his place, her place. I have no idea where they went. I think it's her place with yes. something that happens a little later. But yeah. So she's back there and stuff. And they, he, she's about to turn on the light. He says, oh, I don't like, I like the lights off. You know, because he, mm-hmm. he can't show his face. Exactly. And then I, I agree. I'm yeah. the same way. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and then he's all like, "All right, let's get into it." And she's like, "All right, Christine." He's like, "Oh, my name's not Christine. It's like a, a Meg. It's like a Winston or something like that." He's like, "No, it's Christine Ten- tonight. Tonight, your name is Christine." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Damn! All right." <laughs> uh, this is, and then during this, why our boy Phantom is getting his jollies on. Uh, we have Christine. She is now talking to Richard. And we can hear in the background. Oh, this girl knows. So, no, this is, this reminds me of one of those old promoters. I don't know if you catch this line. The, the guy was like, it was it was the uh, Martin guy. She's like, that fucking girl, she ain't going to sell no tickets. I was like, what is this fucking, uh, <laughs> what is this, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? The Oldie Anderson, you know, yeah. talking to Rich Flair. Who'd she ever beat? Yeah, who'd she, yeah exactly. Who's <laughs> <laughs> like, who, who this fucking, who'd she ever beat? All right, she just fucking jobbed on TV. How the hell am I going to have her singing in my fucking show? All right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, old... promoters are promoters. Yeah. It never changes. And then right? this fucking guy, Martin, he he did what these fucking uh, old promoters did too. He went to the sheets. He was like, hey, yep. man, can you write like some bad reviews about this girl? Because I don't want her on top. All right, I paid a lot of fucking money for this fucking La Crista girl, okay? Like, I write some shit about her. And the guy, the guy was like, okay, yeah, I'll agree to it. It's like This is like straight out of like wrestling it's, right it's, here it's 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 wrestling yeah <laughs> it is it is wrestling it's it's exactly the way old style wrestling was of bad. all things opera yeah. 1881 opera was like professional wrestling uh yep during this time we have some fucking people saying oh that bitch ain't gonna sell no tickets and then he goes to the sheets and tells <laughs> her to write a bad story about her i was like damn okay <laughs> and then during this whole time you know charlotte's like oh man i did great i feel great and everything and richard's all like i guess richard and christine were like dating and apparently now, like since Christine has done a great performance, they can't like date anymore. So I, I guess I guess when you become an opera singer, you can't date anybody. You got to be like your own thing or something. So I guess sure. Yes, and uh, you know they were basically saying like you know, I won't forget you. You won't forget me and stuff. So they they basically you know they they love each other, but she's about to go into this new journey of being a opera star. Or she thinks. Uh, so now we have the Phantom. He's done smashing the harlot. He is now at a bar and he's drinking. And we had this uh, this drunk guy. He's, he talks to the, uh, the the waitress. And he's like, hey, what's that guy doing over there? You know, why is he always there in the, in the fucking uh, corner writing shit? And she's like, well, I don't know. He just sits there and he likes his privacy. Mm-hmm. His gold, he's pays in gold and he likes his... 
privacy. It's privacy. I always like that line. I had to add it in. Yep. I like my fri- privacy as well. Yes. We all like I just our like privacy. to sit in the corner and drink, and I like my privacy. Yes. Yes, yes, John. You, you and the uh, the Phantom have a lot in common. We do, actually, yeah. Because, you know, you, you when you go to see um, Iron Maiden, I could see you mm. being exactly at the Phantom, like super happy and like <laughs> clapping in that chair. <laughs> like... Yeah, exactly. Like you know, when he was like clapping, happy, and stuff. Like, like looks like he's laughing. That's like that's you at the Iron Man concert. Absolutely, you know it. You know, you know it is. And then we got these uh, drunk dudes over here. They're trying to. He's trying to talk to to the Phantom, and basically, you know, saying like, "Hey, why are you in this corner and stuff?" And the Phantom just blows them off, tells them to get you know hit rocks and shit. So then mm-hmm. these idiots try to corner the motherfucker because they want to rob him of his gold. All right, and this fucking Phantom's like. You dumb fuckers. Like, this, I, I'm going to get you and stuff. And he was saying all this stuff about, um, you know, like, uh, this is not what you want. I would just roll on back. And then they start attacking him. And, of course, the fandom kicks their ass. Yep. He picked the wrong one. Yes. And he's all, like, you know, trying to, st- they fight and stuff. He tell him, like, the guy, the main guy who's trying to steal his goal is, like, you know, you're from hell and shit. And he's basically, like, uh, he's, like, this is what you wanted, the gold. And he eventually kills him. So, pretty cool looking uh, fight scene. And then, I guess, so, I, when I was watching this with the, with the, with the Bethany, the Bethany No Fear yeah. from my former, former podcast I used to do, mm-hmm. is, is he supposed to be like a ghost? Or is he just, so, like, he has like powers where he can transform, because he was like, when he was fighting these guys, he would go like, he would like, uh, you know, do the, uh, what do you call it, teleportation. Where he would go somewhere very quickly and stuff. So, I guess like he has like phantom powers. Well, kinda. I mean, we find out more about him later. Uh, like yeah. one of the things we find out is that he, you know, like he 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 made some kind of deal with the devil. Yes. Which you know, which I got it took is like that's what gave him these like kind of phantom like powers. Yeah, but of. I was also confused on that too because okay, so he got the the the, the power. I thought he got he made a, a deal with the devil for his soul, but the deal was that his music would live on to be like the greatest music ever written, you know. But the mm, the, the, well, the, yes. the punishment of that is he couldn't show his face because they basically made it for his face would never heal and he would look like a monster yes but how is him how is them giving him a bad face and great music how does that give him like magical powers now to be a phantom killer i don't know maybe it's just like a bonus that came with the 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 musical knowledge you also get teleportation powers i mean he doesn't really use powers a lot no. But he does use other there are other mystical elements to him though. Yes. That we'll find out about a little bit later. So I mean you could like kind of overlook the fact that he has these powers. Right. He seems to have powers. Yes. So now we have Meg. This is the uh the the uh the, the London Meg. She uh, runs to Christine, but like, hey Christine, the article has come out. And I already knew right away. I was like, you already know it's gonna be negative reviews, but she's all sappy and stuff and Christine's like, let me read it, let me read it. And eventually she reads it, and then it, it just has a bunch of negative reviews. Uh, the guy's saying she couldn't keep the audience and stuff, and she's just not ready for the big role and stuff. Like, man, this is like everything out of, like, uh, a critic of a new wrestler. Like, like you know, he couldn't get over. Uh, it, it's only been, it's, it was like just one week, oh, this motherfucker can't get over, he's buried. 
um, you know, he can't work. Uh, needs to go back mm-hmm. to the mental. Uh, uh, this is a you know he's you know, all everything like a, a wrestling fan would say about somebody. That this guy wrote about this girl, you know. Yeah, often, often <laughs> like or, or similar to like how we have, you know, Roman Reigns at the top of WWE right now as the tippy top guy, but <laughs> we have Kevin Owens, who's a much better wrestler in a comedy, you know, comedy storyline with another comedy wrestler. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so <laughs> so after she's reading this article and everything, we cut to a scene of a bunch of guys taking a bath together. Yes. Uh, I thought this was really weird, too. <laughs> it's a bathhouse, John. So back in the day. It, it is a thing, right. To, right. To, to relax. You would have a bunch of old men, and they would all hang out in the bathroom. Steam bath house room. Yeah, but that's not the part I thought was weird. <laughs> the part I thought was weird. <laughs> that, I mean, that's not the weirdest part. So, like, I was confused because I did not realize that a Turkish bathhouse was a thing. So I was trying to figure out why everybody was wearing, like, fezes all of a sudden. Because I thought that they had they had changed locations. Like, I thought they had gone to Turkey or somewhere or the yeah. Middle East. And I'm like, so wait a minute. I don't understand why this is happening. But then I realized that it's just the, the employees that work at this Turkish-themed bathhouse. Yes. Which I thought was a little That's odd, the gimmick. But, well, so, right. That is the gimmick. So we have the, the journalist, or the or I like to call him the Twitter the, the Twitter man. Um, <laughs> so this part's pretty funny, too. So the Phantom is in the steam uh, room with the, the, the journalist. Okay. And he's going on, oh, haven't I seen you before? And the guy's like, yeah, I'm a journalist and stuff. It's like, oh, I see. I didn't really agree with your piece on uh, Miss Christine and stuff. And he's like, oh, I can't believe you didn't agree on my piece. You know, I just <laughs> thought she was not ready and stuff. I just see like a back to forth, like a back and forth, like Twitter exchange between these two. Mm-hmm. And my favorite yes. part of the Phantom is all like, well, you know, I have some clout at the theater. Um, maybe I can get you a better box seat. To you know, so maybe if you got a little bit closer, maybe you're just on the wrong side of the stage and stuff. Maybe if you got on this particular side of the stage, maybe you would have heard her better, and then maybe you would have had a different opinion. The guy's like, "Nope, no, I don't need that. Uh, <laughs> nope. My opinion is right, and this is what I think." And she sucked. Uh, she she got buried. Uh, she has no talent. I'm gonna put her back on NXT 2.0. And then this guy's like, "Well, fuck this motherfucker. All right, this ain't no fucking Twitter. <laughs> this is the real life. I'm gonna smash this motherfucker against the fate and his head against the wall." And that's what he did. So our boy, the Phantom, hates Twitter trolls. Yeah. Well, that's- I mean, he gave him a chance to change his mind, right? Yeah, yeah. He he gave him. He's like, hey man, I will pay. For, I'll get you a good section where you mm-hmm. can do. He said like that part you were sitting in doesn't have the best sound to it. I know where the best sound is. I have clout there. I will get you the seat where the con is if you just go and maybe see another performance and give her a different opinion. This motherfucker was like, nope, I ain't doing it. I got paid off. I, <laughs> it ain't happening. And he's like, well, nope. fuck this motherfucker. I'm gonna kill his ass. That's what he did. <laughs> So now, Christine, after reading the one review, uh, she is now... This is just just like nowadays wrestling. (laughs) I mean, fuck. I didn't even realize it until I'm actually talking about it now. Like, Christine reads one review about how she sucked, and she's like, oh, fuck, my career's over. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she fucking just leaves. And then uh, Robert, he tries to follow her. 
um, because you know he's like he, he he goes up to Meg and he's like, hey Meg, what you know what's going on with the uh, with Christine and stuff? She's like, oh she left, but she, you know, um, you know, she's upset. Um, so Christina is now going through going to the grave of her dad. Okay, and she starts crying stuff. She doesn't know you know what she do what she do. She's like you know I know you sent somebody to help me. Um. You know, for the secret person trying to help me out. I just don't know what I'm doing anymore. And um, eventually she hears this person playing violin. I thought this scene was pretty cool. Like, it was in that tower yes. playing violin. Yeah, it was, it was very, really cool. Yeah, I thought it was really neat. And, and it, by playing the violin, you know, it was uh, it was the Phantom. And he was, like, saying, Christine, you know, come with me and stuff. I'll finish your training and everything. Come with me. And eventually, you know, Richard shows up. And... He's like, you know, what's going on here, Christine? Don't be going with this strange man and his carriage and stuff. What, you know, what's going on? She just looks at him like Richard, and she goes off into the carriage with the Phantom. Because mm, she's now kind of uh, hypnotized, sort of. Yes. And this is, <laughs> I don't know. Why I thought this was a little funny too. I always find strange, funny things in movies that are supposed to be serious. So the Phantom is supposed to. He, I, I, at this point, he seemed like he's supposed to wow. Christine, like, hey, look how mystery man I am. Like, look, I'm going to make you a big star. I'm going to give you the world. I'm going to make sure you're the best singer of all time. And how are we going to do this? Well, I'm going to bring you to my rat-infested lair. (laughs) 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 It's like all these, like, dudes in, like, you know, like, California or something. Come to California. I'll make you a star. I'll make you be the most, you know, you'll be on Broadway. You'll be in all this stuff. Just come with me. I'll make sure you're great. And they get there, just some fucking trailer, you know, with their <laughs> beer cans hanging out everywhere. The guy with the gut is like, "Hey, you gotta cook my dinner, girl." You know what I mean? And and now this 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 phantom brings her down to the, basically the sewer. <laughs> the sewer, what a bunch of rats. Yeah. And yeah. then my favorite character on this movie, you know, we had the we had the phantom guy, you know, Robert England. We had Christine. We had the guy from Underworld, Mark. We had Richard. No, mm-hmm. they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't hold a candle to our boy, the Rat Man. Yes, yes. the Rat Man is special. He yes. is a special, special guy. His whole gimmick was he was the the middleman between the Phantom and reality, where he keeps the Phantom secret of him staying down there, and for and he also keeps the rats out. Yeah, well, it's a handy job, right? I mean, if you're going to live in the sewers, you got to have a guy who you got to have a rat man who will keep the rats out. Yeah, exactly. You know, we got to have a guy keeping the rats out, make sure he keeps your secret. Yes. So he hears uh, the singing of the Phantom and um, Christine. So basically, when Christine comes down to the Phantom's lair, which is a cool lair, you know, it has a bunch of candles everywhere, pianos yeah. and shit it was going on. Really cool. Really, really cool stuff. So at least it looked good for like a sewer. And he's all for, for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, he's like, he's going on saying like, you know, you, you, this is your new home now. You know, uh, this is what I always wanted to stuff. Nothing, nothing will harm you here. Uh, this is this is the layer where I will teach you uh, the meaning of uh, of uh, music, and I will teach you the meaning of love as well. And she's all like, "Hey, aren't you the, aren't you that guy like Aaron Esther? No, he is long dead. I no, am. <laughs> that's not me. That's not me. 
She's like, yeah, it was. You're the guy that created this music over here that's supposed to be really good. No, it's not finished. He's <laughs> 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 like, no, it's not finished. She's like, well, I'm going to sing it anyway. And then they, they start singing his, uh, his song. And this is when he's like, you inspired me to write this stuff. And then she sings the song and everything. Which and, is the same song, right? Yes, it's the uh, it's the yeah. the title track, the title the title song, the the Eric's uh, the same song that the earlier Christine was singing. It was yeah, this from one. yeah his show, his show is called Don Juan Triumphant, I think. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. <clears throat> and and he was all like, "Hey, uh, how did you like know those words? Like, I I never shown anybody this before. I never done that." She's like, "I don't know. It just came to me." So we're seeing that. I guess the Christina from modern day linked up with this Christine from the past. And that's how they know the song. That's what I'm guessing. Uh, I guess like none of this makes any sense. So like, you know, if she knew like it would make sense if she knew that she was back in time, but then the story wouldn't really work. So they had to make it to where she's like disembodied or whatever. But now she somehow doesn't magically knows the lyrics to the song that he wrote. Yeah. Because her line was like, I'm not sure. I just know it. Okay, okay, that's like a wrestling trope. Like, how do we get out of storyline? Ah, just get her mind. She just knew it. Okay. She and then like so he's all excited so that now his stuff can be complete. And he's all like, "You're gonna be the angel, and London's gonna be at your feet." He says, "Come with me, and I will give you everything." Um. <laughs> she's like, yeah, "I like this part." He's like, <laughs> "You want the music? I am the music." That was great. Yes. I was like, yes, that's a great line. Um, She's like, and she's, you know, she's, she's going on a little bit about stuff. She's like, um, you know, don't see other people. I promise you I will teach you all my tricks and stuff. And also, too, you will also be my bride. And she's all dun, like, dun, come dun. to me. Yeah. So now, like, she has been lured in to the Phantom's uh, trap of getting Christine to not only be his surrogate for music, but she'd also be the bride as well, too. So Richard, uh, he is worried about uh, Christina's life as being in danger. So he talks to the, the the inspector guy and about like, hey, there's some, you know, something's going on with Christine and stuff. And the inspector guy is like, listen, I think I figured this shit all out. Look at these photos. Here's this skin guy. Do you see? Look at this. Look at this guy. Do you see? That's a that's a line from Red Dragon. Do you see? Yes. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> he's all like, "Oh, the, what does this have to do with anything?" He's like, "It has everything to do with things." Listen, the the uh, the the um, the Joseph guy. He almost killed Christina from the accident. Dead, skinned. Uh, the 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 writer guy who wrote a negative article. Dead. All right. Everybody who's been uh, looped up to Christine's misfortune has been round up dead. So yep. now the Phantom yep. guy is real, and he is killing everybody that's Christine. So we need to find her and 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 figure out this whole mess. So that's their plan. Yep. So now they now they figured out that you know, or the inspector thinks that. Uh, he's been living for decades even though he's supposed to be dead yes and then this is when we get the whole thing where the uh eric dessler this is the whole scene where we see how his soul got turned over to for a price um his face got all messed up because of all this 
Um, and then, you know, because the reason he sold the soul was for his music would live on to be to be the most perfect music there could be. Yes. And the gimmick was uh, his face is all fucked up and he cannot re- re- replace it. Um, I did like in this film, which I don't know if they, you got to tell me, did they do this in the books and stuff? When he killed his victims, did he actually use their skin for a face? No. Okay. I thought that part was pretty cool. Yeah, that was like that was definitely added. In. Well, actually, I don't know if it's in the book. I haven't read the book, but but that's that was added in for the uh, for the for the this movie because in the mm-hmm. in the other versions he never really leaves the the sewer. Okay, because you know he wears you know we have the classic phantom mask. Yeah, because he just uses the mask. Face. Yes, but yeah. in this one he actually uses he, his victim's skin to make like a mock mask, and I thought that was pretty right. pretty pretty crazy. You know, obviously they got that from. Egging, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface and stuff. But I thought that was a really good touch for this particular film where he can use somebody's dead skin mask on him. So Yeah, and, and not a bad trade off if you think about it. I mean, you know, I mean he sold it, you know, he sold his soul to be able to write beautiful music. And the trade off is that his face is all fucked up, but now he can just make a mask where he has a normal face. Yes. But the so problem, it's really not a bad trade off if you think about it. The only problem with the, I get you know skin eventually wears out so he has to keep killing people to get the skin back on well yeah but i mean you know it's it's a small price to pay yes and now they realize how oh, the phantom is alive and he is is living underneath the opera house and this is when we see you know this is where we're talking about the phantom is putting on the the dead skin mask um just like the Slayer song. Yes, that's that's what I was getting at. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Christine is back and she's talking to Meg now, and she's trying to take off the ring that the. Fa- so this is a weird scene too. So something might, I guess, something like happened in the middle because it looked like when Christine uh, accepted the Phantom's offer, offer of being the bride and everything, she was fine with it. But then now we see this scene where she's like, "Fuck, trying to get this finger off, like the the ring off." She's like, "Oh, I made a terrible mistake." and shit so very in, mm. very weird but. yeah i just took that as she was she was kind of like hypnotized yeah i got yeah i get you that. know and, and it, then she took that and then like later on when he's not around she's like oh shit yeah and then you know meg you know was talking to her about the ring and everything so at first she thinks it was richard that gave the ring and she's like no this is not from richard and stuff this is from you know somebody else and uh, i can't see richard he's in danger and stuff can you give him this note and she's like, she, Meg doesn't know what's going on. She's like, listen, he is in danger and stuff. You need to give him this note, and I got to get out of here. Because I have to go uh, do some, get out of here to save everybody. And eventually Richard shows up. He wants to know what's going on with Christine. Meg eventually gives him the note. And the note is basically like, you know, like, hey, I, you can't be around me. You'll be in danger. So, And then, of course, we have the Phantom. He's following all this uh, all this happening. So now uh, we have a, a a very fun party. It's the ball party. We have the mask ball party. You ever been to one of these mask ball? I never been to one. They seem like they'd be pretty I, fun. I, yeah, I haven't either. But they look really cool. I, I've always wanted to go to one. Yeah, the the, the old timey you know masks and stuff and all the the, the pageantry yeah. and stuff. Very very fun. I would only want to go to one that was that used like old old time masks and things like that. Well, to be now, honest that's with you, what would make it. the fucking Phantoms outfit, I'd be, that's the one I wanted to pick. That should look awesome. 
Yeah, it's like the Mask of the Red Death, yeah. which came from the Edgar Allan Poe story, which is also in the in the movie. I mean, in the book, the original book, I think that he wears a Mask of the Red Death outfit, which I guess was popular during that time. And but yeah, that looked fucking cool. And the the uh, cool part too is, um, this is just a little side note. I like to do that. So I was listening to the Jericho podcast when he brought on the uh, Jericho Appreciation Society, and he said he wanted to do a match with himself as the pain maker. And he wanted to do Daniel Garcia has the Red Death in that outfit uh, to come out and face Darby Allen and Sting. So hopefully we'll get that one day, and that'd be kind of a cool little, cool little thing. So that's just a little side trope that I that I remember from hearing about the Red Death. Um, yes. So everybody's kind of at this party. You know, we have Martin at the party. He's like drunk and stuff, trying to hit on on La Carette. And we have Richard over there worried about. He's trying to find um, Christine during the whole time. Christine's over there just trying to like maneuver herself around everybody um we have the inspector he's there with the cop just be like the phantom's gonna be here tonight i know it <laughs> and during all this stuff you know we have martin talking a little bit with like christine she kind of blows him off um richard finally meets up with christine and he's worried about her and stuff and she's kind of like warning him about some of the phantom and what she got herself into um, and this is when we get the Phantom now goes up. He's now arrived and everybody's kind of like looking at him a little bit of the outfit and stuff. And they kind of like <laughs> one scene was, I think it was Martin or stuff. He goes up, I must see what's under that mask. And the guy just, and the, the fan just pushes him aside. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like he's like, I was obsessed with like yes. finding out who's under the mask, but, yes. um, nope. And then eventually the, uh, the mask guy, he goes up to, to, to La Carette. And he's like dancing with her and stuff and like that. And he eventually takes her into a different room. She's all excited. She's like, yes, this mystery death mask guy is about to freaking rock my world. <laughs> but before all this can happen, I must see what's under that face. And she's all like, when I see what's under that face, will I be surprised? And then I think he says something like, <laughs> you'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then she ran, and then she takes off the mask. Like she's all ready to go. Like she's ready to go. And she sees his face all fucked up. And she's like, ah, fuck. And then she screams and shit. And then eventually the, the phantom gets her. And then we have the scene of the, um, uh, <laughs> this scene was pretty funny too. We have somehow the rat catcher was invited to the ball party. All right. Yeah. He's all yes. gimmicked up. And yeah. He's all like, <laughs> he's all like, you guys know what I do for a living? All right. He's so happy about it. He's like, I catch the rats. You can't have a normal <laughs> opera house. You know, if the rats were just spreading everywhere, none of this would happen right now. Like, this guy is so happy about his job. <laughs> and then, well, yeah, I guess he has an important <laughs> job, right? And he was telling the inspectors, he's all like, yeah, I know I might know some secrets. And the inspector guy, he ain't playing around. I was like, listen, man, you're going to tell me the fucking the secrets you shit. He's like, okay, well. I know where the phantom stays. He stays in the lair. He 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 uh he pays me in gold to keep his secrets and I kid out the rats for him. You know, but I'm a you know, I don't give a fuck about him anymore though cuz I guess he's not been paying me a lot of gold lately. <laughs> cuz he just rats him out like quick. Mm. Get it? Rats yeah, the him rat out. man rats him out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then Some, all this yeah. stuff they're showing food and everything and eventually the 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 Lacrette, her head is in the the fruit punch. And everybody uh, starts freaking awesome. out. Yes. And this is all like when uh, we have Richard, we have the two inspectors, we have the rat guy saying, listen, we the phantom guy, we have to counter him. We know he's we know where his lair is at now. 
we're going to go down there and we're going to catch this guy. And then uh, part of it was all like, Richard, you don't have to come here. This is police duty. And Richard just says, I have to, I have to go. All right. So this is when they, um, everybody's like getting down to the, to the lair. Um, eventually the phantom, he, he, uh, during all the melee and stuff, he takes a Christina, like he takes her and he kidnaps her. All right. So that's why we all know where he's going to be going now. This is like when we have, uh, he, the, uh, the phantom has gotten Christine to his lair. He kind of like ties her up saying like, you are never leaving here. You'll never leave here at all. You're going to be staying here. You're going to be my bride. You're going to be my prisoner in this lair now. Mm-hmm. And um, this is when the rat guy brings them around, everybody down to the lair. And eventually they split up a little bit. So we have the rat guy kind of goes on his own. Then we have the inspector and we have Richard and they go on their own. And eventually the phantom meets up with the rat guy. And <laughs> I like this part too. So the phantom is like, you know, like, like he goes up to him, he's like, "Oh, it's you," and the 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 rat guy is all like, "You ain't gonna hurt me. I get out the rats for you." <laughs> like he was all like, "I am protected, because if it mm. wasn't for me, the rat catcher, you would be eaten alive by these rats. Your lair would be destroyed by all these rats. Only I can uh, take out the the rats, the rats. and stop them <laughs> from ruining you." How you can never defeat me, you can never kill me. And the phantom just kills his ass. <laughs> yeah, it kind of overestimates the value of this rat catching job. Uh, I just love this character. I don't know why. It was just so funny. It's just like <laughs> look at my important job. You'll never kill me. I'm being immortal. <laughs> you you I'm basically you're my slave and he just kills his ass. Like I don't give a fuck about no dead dead stupid rats. Are you kidding me? I can teleport, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I can teleport. I don't care about rats. Yeah. Alright, so uh <laughs> And then this is also too when we have uh, the two police split up. Uh, we have the the uh, the the one police guy. He's looking around. Eventually, he he starts shooting at the the uh, the phantom and stuff. And they're they're kind of playing like tag, like back and forth. Um, and he calls for for Morris. All right, Morris Hawkins. He calls for him. And the the um the, the inspector and Richard they find the um they find uh the the dead cop the, there was like there was like three cops all right there was one cop that was basically like the red you know you know how in Star Trek we always had the red shirt guy get killed he was basically yeah. the cop that got killed and we had to have one cop dying and that's what this guy was he had no character he was just dead and he was, he there, was just to, there to get killed yes he was just there to show that the Phantom is on a, a tirade. Um, so this is also too, when we get the, um, the phantom, he eventually corners, um, one of the detectives and he rips the motherfucker's heart out. Yeah. Not easy to do. Yes. Not easy. Fucking just takes it all out. No problem. Uh, this is when Richard and the inspector see the dead rat guy. (laughs) It's like, oh, well, there he goes. (laughs) The guy who thought he was so important. And then, uh, so this is when the Phantom now runs and he's going back because he's getting cornered now. So since the uh, the Phantom goes back and he sees Chris and then uh, Christina, she's uh, kind of like escaped a little bit. And the Phantom's like, everything I did was for you, Christine. Everything I did was all for you and stuff. 
Um, yeah. So, so this she is, needs to be more grateful. Yes. And so he kind of like locks her up a little bit. And this is when we have a fight between Richard and the Phantom. They're going back and forth. Um, the, the the Phantom knocks down the, the inspector like super easy. Um, and this is also too when the, the, the Phantom he actually stabs Richard. And Richard actually, while getting stabbed, he also gets uh, burnt on some candles too. <laughs> yeah, so, he also sets him on fire. Yes. So he does a double whammy for this motherfucker. And then during all this stuff, um, Christine, you know, realizes like, um, well, the part also too when the Phantom had the little cannon, he blows it out, and then he shows that uh, Richard has died. This is when um, Christine starts pushing down a bunch of candles all around his place to to burn up his lair. And then she's like, "You will never leave now." Um, and then like the family's like. Only love and music are forever. And then if she eventually shoots the Phantom. Uh, and then eventually the inspector gets uh, Christine out of there. Mm-hmm. So after all the melee is happening. After all the, 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 the Phantom is eventually uh, caught on fire. He's burning up. The inspector uh, gets... Christine out of there. The time warp has gone back now to New York and now we're in present day. Yeah. So this part, I, so when this part was happening, I was like, Oh my God. Like I thought this scene where they were chasing him around the sewers took forever. And then I looked to see how much was left in the movie. And it was like 20 minutes left. I'm like, Oh my God, are they going to chase him for 20 minutes? (laughs) Um, but she breaks the mirror. She doesn't she break a mirror? She breaks a mirror and that sends her back to to her regular time. Although yes. she's not time traveling, we don't really explain what this is. But then she goes back to present day New York. Yes. Um, and so we get the first swerve. So she goes back. Yeah, she's back in New York now and she's waking up because of the first um uh, the first accident. And she asks, and then eventually, you know, we get the we get the normal Meg there. We get the we get the director, and then we see the Phantom himself, Eric. He's there, but he's a normal character. He's not Eric. He's just uh, Mister uh, Foster. He is just yeah. like some normal random dude, and she doesn't pay any mind to it. She's like, oh, okay, just some normal guy, I guess. And this is when well, no. I, well, she recognizes him, but then she thinks that it's just part of this dream she had. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So eventually, you know, when basically when, when Christine wakes up, she the director says, "Hey, you got the part." And this is Meg's like, "Well, we got to write up a contract." I was like, "Damn, yeah, fucking." Because Meg's all of a sudden her manager. Yeah, it's all about cash and creative. Yes, and Meg's all her manager now. Yes, and this is when the guy who you know looks like the Phantom, uh, he invites uh, Christine back to his place and stuff um, because he wants to show her around town, show him his art gallery. And basically saying like, "Hey, you're gonna be the uh, the talk of New York. You're gonna take over New York. New York's gonna be at all your feet." You know, like all those arts guys, like they're like, you know, because you're gonna be in this one play, New York's gonna bow down to you. They're gonna be at your feet, like fucking. Yeah, because he's a, a genius. Yes, <laughs> just blowing a bunch of smoke. Mm-hmm. And he's all like, "Hey, let's get ready. Meet me out here. We're gonna go have a drink, and we're gonna go around New York. It's gonna be a great evening." And so she's at his like place. She's seeing all this 80s equipment. Did you see all that shit? Like yeah. the computers and the rack. I was like, yeah. oh shit, this is, this is great. 
all that shit was really cool. Yeah, yeah. with the with the uh, yeah. the the uh, the recorder and everything, yeah. the um, reel to reel recorder. That was that was awesome. And we have the famous floppy disk <laughs> has made its way to the retro blood brother because she pops in a floppy disk, and it, yeah. and it and just plays, so- um, <laughs> go ahead. And plays like a MIDI version of the song. Yes. Which I'm guessing is the only way you could fit an entire song onto a floppy disk is to make it like this little MIDI, like like Mario music. It sounded like a Mario version of like the song music he was writing. Yes. Um, and then she, and then this is when we get the, the guy, um, the Phantom, going into this room and you could see that his face is kind of peeling off a little bit. So this is when we're like, oh, sh- this guy is actually the Phantom. He mm. survived all those decades and years and now has transformed into this modern-day New York artist guy who who uh, puts all his music on floppy disk. <laughs> huh? I, I suppose so, yeah. You know, this you still know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, the yes. floppy has been around for a long time. You know, I remember even having floppy disk when I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. I love I love the floppy disk. These kids nowadays don't know about nothing about no floppy. No, no, they um, they should uh, they should bring back the floppy disk. Yes, uh, just imagine the wonders you can do on a floppy disk. I know, just imagine <laughs> you could put like one whole picture on it, maybe. Well, apparently this motherfucker he put his whole song on there. Just this uh, a mini version, yes, yeah. Mini, yes, and I like it where she's like he's coming down, she's trying to like stop everything. She's like, "Fuck, I can't figure out this damn technology." She shouldn't have never fucked with it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, none of this would have happened if she hadn't fucked with it. And he goes like. It's like, how do you like it? Do you love music forever? And forever. She's, like, she's like, you're him, aren't you? <laughs> I said, uh, she said, uh, you made uh, you made it possible uh, for what you're choosing, love or music. And then, uh, and then basically, so he's basically the Phantom now. Like he's the Phantom, and she's the Christine. And he's all like, you know, you made it possible for me to to love music and also love passion. So what do you choose right now? Are you choosing music or are you going to be choosing love? And then eventually she chooses to rip his face off. Right. So are we <laughs> to believe... So the Phantom story makes sense. Like, you know, he's he sold his soul to the devil. He's been living all this time, you know, and working in the music industry. But so is she is she a reincarnation of Christine? I guess because I think he said he was waiting a long time for her. Yeah, and like a hundred years. Yeah. Yes, and then eventually she eventually stamps him. Yep. And she oh, she rips off his mask. Yes, or his she, face. Yes, and she grabs the paper and floppy disk, and she eventually burns him. And well, actually, no, she doesn't burn him. She actually just runs right. it. She crumples it. And she just drops it down the fucking drain. Yeah. Yeah. She um, for the sequel. She, she rips the she rips the paper in two and sends it down the end of the sewer. And then you hear him scream because like that I guess that kills him when you rip up the paper. Okay, so yeah. Which I get also it. doesn't make sense. I get but, it now. I get it now. So yeah, but, when you have yeah. this when you have this Eric Dissler's the Phantoms, when you have his main song, he lives through the song. So if you sing his song, he appears kind of like the boogeyman. Correct. Or Candyman. He, like he's kind of like, yes, he's like yeah. Candyman. <laughs> where when you sing a song, he appears. 
So that's why Christine's like, okay, so I can kill this guy, but he seems to be coming back because I sang his song. Okay. Mm-hmm, Remember yeah. at the beginning of the movie, she sang the song, so that's what brought him back to life. And now guess, that she yeah. she is saying the song, he she is now in the 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 quarrel with the Phantom. So in order to defeat the Phantom, you got to stab and burn him, and then you also got to hide his music forever. So how do we hide a deadly Phantom's music? We rip up his paper and we drop his floppy down the sewer, so, so the Ninja yeah. Turtles can sing it. Yeah, right. So, but still, it's just a piece of paper. It's like the music still exists. It's not like the music went away forever. She just ripped the piece of paper into. And I guess you put the floppy in the sewer, but, you know, it's like the music still exists. So why does that kill him? Well, you know, there could have been a sequel. There'd been a couple sequels from this movie. You know, we could have done the Phantom yeah. in Manhattan. You know, we have like <laughs> the Ninja Turtle guy or the turtle guy find the floppy, bring it up to life. He sings it. Then he gets haunted by the Phantom. Okay. Then we, yeah. we defeat him. Then we go to the air, the CDs. Somehow the the phantom's music is written onto a CD. So we have oh, like yeah, a like, we have, yeah, we have like a nineties nineties two thousand Christina, you know what I mean? Getting haunted yeah, like by that, a CD. Like, yeah. Like some like some heavy metal band finds the the music <laughs> yeah. and then does a heavy metal version of it and then yes. brings the phantom back. Yeah, and of course we, the could fan- we could make tons of these. Yeah, we could so make you, tons of these. You could do a Phantom Six. Uh yeah. <laughs> the you know, the Phantom Six is is a fucking MP three player. You know what I mean? His songs are on there by Apple. Like, he's all like, fuck, now I'm like fucking on. And then Apple apparently like takes the rights over from the Phantom. So he actually doesn't own his music anymore. It's Apple that owns his music. And he's all pissed off about Apple. So he like tortures them and kills people from Apple. I mean, come on. It writes itself over here, people. It does. It, you're right. It does write itself. And then, then we got to get him into space. So we could have like music on Space Shuttle or whatever. And then they the actually Phantom. find his music floating through space, yes. picked up on radio waves. And it brings the the phantom back into space yes into space. and then um and then what we do is we do a reboot we do the phantom it's a reboot but we we forget about all the sequels and we just do a reboot of the phantom first movie yeah <laughs> and we just have the people from the first movie reprise their roles um and they <laughs> they don't really do anything they just show up for a cameo <laughs> Right. It's kind of a sequel, but it's also it's, just called Phantom of the Opera. Yes. It's kind of a sequel, but also kind of a reboot. Yes, yeah. it'd be 40 years later. 40 years mm-hmm. later, the Phantom has come back. We have found his scripture. We have now, it's now on uh, 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 Spotify. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Well, anybody, that ends, this officially ends now. The Universal Monster Month here on the Retro Blood. What a great month. Kind of like what we talked last time. You know, we had the Vampires. The Lost Boys, you know, rocking it out. We had Frankenstein and whatever kind of mess that movie was. We had the Silver Bullet, some werewolf action going on over here. Um, We had the fucking uh, mummy uh, out there with a bunch of models hanging out. And then we got the Phantom over here with his deadly music. um, Conquering time periods. But you skipped a part of the movie. Which part? Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah, after she drops the fucking thing, that's it, right? No. What happened? (laughs) There's a whole other scene. There's another swerve. All right, tell me. I, so I, then, I and then, <laughs> so after she drops the, the the music, rips the music up and puts it in the sewer, and he screams. The next scene is she's in New York again, and she's walking down the street. And then there's a guy who's like busking on the street and playing violin, and he's all covered up. Oh yeah, that, I totally forgot and about she, that. Yeah, and then she puts money into his thing, 
And then he steps out of the shadow and he plays the song again. And then she turns around and looks at him and that's when it ends. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. How did I forget the ending? The swerve. Mm. Where he's still alive. He must have been the... Uh, that's, this is where we're supposed to leave to the sequel. That never got made. I guess so. Yes. Yes. Found the opportunity. The, fa- the fandom takes Rest Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, anyway, everybody. Now I can do my closing monologue now mm. we had a great month vampires werewolves frankenstein mummies phantoms great stuff we'll have to revisit it sometime down the road maybe we'll talk about you know we still have to talk about the swamp creature and creature from the mm, black yeah. you know all that stuff we have to talk about those mm. guys soon but like i said join us here next month truly next month now on the retro blood in june where we're talking all about summer camps Yep. And we're going to be doing the entire Sleepaway Camp series. Can't wait for that. Fun stuff. Uh, we mm-hmm. also got another hidden surprise for you guys for camp camp stuff too. Um, but everybody, thanks for joining us. Thanks for checking out the Retro Blood. Check out the Facebook page. Like us on Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. Uh, tell your friends. We're going to have a good time over here. Talk about some wrestling. Talk about some metal. Talk about some horror movies. Great times over here. But Allison, what should we end this great episode on? What kind of what kind of we, what kind of running uh, uh, songs are we gonna be hearing? We ought to play uh, "Renegade" by Running Wild. Ooh, Running Wild, Renegade. Let's get it on, brother. Yeah, because our boy Phantom, once he uh, once he gets his floppy disc out there, he's definitely be running all kinds. He's of gonna be running wild. All right, guys, we'll check it here next week. Later. See you guys.
forearm. There's evidence of vein thrombosis on both right and left sides. Renitis of the nasal passages with evidence of extreme laceration on inner membrane and mucus Symptoms of withdrawal obvious together with complaints. Complaints of visual hallucination and extreme paranoia. Ah! 